Hello and welcome to a brand new special episode of Where Do We Begin? We've been working super hard on this one, so I'm very excited to bring it to you. Usually, I'd introduce my lovely co-host, Jackson, but I'm afraid, guys, I've got some uh, got to be the bearer of bad news. Jackson's going to be taking some time off the podcast uh, to focus on some work stuff and, yeah, just have a bit of a break from it. But on the upside... Uh, we've got a brand new recruit. Uh, he's a great friend of the show, and he goes by the name of Lockie Gibbs. His new co-host, Lockie. How are you, mate? I'm absolutely uh, stoked to be here, Harper. Um, it's grand final week. Uh, the cats are in the grand final. Um, I can't complain, really. We've got such an exciting episode ahead. We've got some just awesome guests from not only Australia but all around the globe. Um, I think this is going to be a really awesome episode, and I just can't wait to crack into it. Yeah, um, and if you want to see who the guests are and where each of their sections are, just go to the show notes or the description, and we've got a timestamp for each guest or group of guests, and we're going to be asking all those guests for their predictions on the game at the end, obviously, but uh, where can the listeners go for our predictions on the game, Lockie? Yep, wait to the end for our own thoughts on the big game. Can't wait. Listen all the way through. It's an absolutely cracking episode. Let's get into it. All right, and our first segment, I'm super excited for this guest. Uh, he uh, does a bit of radio with ABC Grandstand and, of course, a big AFL media guy and does the AFL Exchange podcast as well. Welcome, Mitch Cleary. Thanks, boys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, pleasure, pleasure to have you, Mitch. How are you going today? Up at about Sunday morning, Jong's into their grand final. We'll get to see the, the Cats go around again. And uh, I think it's, a, it's an awesome storyline heading into this week. Uh, Danger's first grand final after five attempts in prelims. Gary, the goat, goes around again. Uh, we've got Dusty going for his third, Norm Smith. Storylines everywhere. Just a pity the first uh, Victorian only grand final is going to be played at the Gabba. 2011, last time Geelong Collingwood played off. And uh, unfortunately, the three of us are uh, stuck in Victoria. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a weird one, hey? But um, so just like prelims have just finished, obviously, recording this on a Sunday morning. Any big news that we might not know about coming out of those games heading into the grand final? I think the, the two grand finalists are pretty good. I, I, well, I know we are speaking early in the week, but it's hard to see them making wholesale changes to those sides. I think Richmond weighed up the second Ruckman uh, and Nank dominated in that last quarter. So hard to see Malby or Chol coming in or them changing things up too much. And as for the Cats, I think that small forward role, Sam Simpson came in and replaced Tom Atkins um, for the semi-final and, and thought he's been pretty good, Sam Simpson. So uh, I'm be likely and predicting they'd stick with uh, the 22s as they sit right now. As for the losers, well, Grant Burke, Virtual did his hammy, um, but does have a contract for next year. He's triggered an extension. Expect him to go on unless something comes out of the blue. Uh, Ryan Burden would have missed as well for, for the power quad injury. His third quad injury for the year, and we know Brad Ebert's retired uh, for the power. Hard to believe, 260 games, and he's only 30. So he played a lot of footy, yeah. um, Brad Ebert, and uh, his last moment on a footy field will be well-remembered as uh, the courageous player that he was. Yeah, 100%, but I guess anything can always change. Like you broke the story of Darcy Gardner, who I don't think leading up to the game, there was much talks about his injuries and he was obviously laid out, so that can mm. always change. Now, talking about Brisbane, where do you think they lost the game last night? It's funny, um, speaking to a couple of people at the game, just that hunger and intensity they brought against Richmond. You go back to that first half against the Tigers, they drew four 50-metre penalties out of Richmond that night, that qualifying final. And they didn't have that sort of in-your-face intensity that 
we sort of come to expect from from Brisbane. And I know Geelong's possession style game can sort of slow teams down and and sort of make them defend quite a lot. And it felt like Brisbane were on the back foot from the get go last night. And even I'm sure you boys are watching half time. Chris Scott saying we dominated the game, and the Cats probably could have been up by five, six goals at yeah, half time. And had they taken their chances, probably could have put the game to bed earlier. Um, a little bit disappointed in, in their key forwards as well. And I'm sure we'll get to Joe Danaher as well. But just the one goal from uh, Mick Stay and Hitwood combined. Uh, a lot was left up to Charlie Cameron. So I think the Lions will be uh, keen to address a few of those areas heading into next year. Yeah, 100%. It felt like, I guess, as an outsider, it felt like the emotion of the qualifying win after going out in straight sets last year, it really just felt like that, like, yes, that was their big finals win and just all the emotions sort of been sucked out. It would have been like Collingwood the week before with their win over West Coast. Yeah, and the other keen point uh, I took out of Chris Fagan's press conference last night was they were just beaten up around the footy a little bit. The Cats were bigger, stronger, and just brushed off a few of those lines, boys. And, you know, young Young players, they're going to be uh, they're going to be better for years to come. But just felt like when the game was on the line, the cats really stood up. I was a bit surprised. I brought K. Malice Yolman in to replace Kadeen Coleman. Yeah, I was um, as well. Coleman yeah. played, I thought, pretty well in the qualifying final, and he added yeah. a bit of speed, which is probably an area that Geelong lacked in. Yeah, and we know Geelong's small defenders can go missing a bit at times and be sort of left wanting. And I thought Geelong were able to move the fall, the ball out of their uh, back half too easy last night. And Coleman may have been able to apply a bit of that pressure. I know Alice Yolman came in to do the job on, on Tommy Stewart, but um, would have liked to have seen him used around the stoppage a bit more earlier because Chris Fagan's talking about, you know, the big bodies. Well, he's as big a body as you get, Cam Alice Yolman, and um, he was anchored deep into their forward line trying to, uh, Tom, trying to, trying to stop Tom Stewart. Yeah, I agree. I guess the criticism that you could have of Jong's backline is, is that they have six defenders over 190 centimetres and Jed Buse is a small defender. He's 186 centimetres and he's over 90 kilos, so he's not a small boy either. So, yeah, I thought that was an interesting selection call. As well as I agree with your comments, I guess, around the clearances and the stoppages. That's probably been Brisbane's one wood and strong suit mm. throughout the year and Cats just buoyed them. Yeah, exactly. Um, And Mitch mentioned the, like, the lack of intensity before. It was just noticeably they just looked off from the get-go uh brisbane and like even when they were within two goals they just didn't look like winning in the last well, i think it was two goals in the last quarter they just didn't look like winning and i know i was watching it with my dad in the third quarter at geelong like three goals up or something i said geelong's gonna end up winning this by 40 points and what do you know they won it by 40 <laughs> points so but anyway we'll move on because uh, we've got to keep it fairly short we'll move on to the fallout for brisbane so how do you reckon they're gonna kind of pick themselves up from bit of a disheartening prelim loss next year. Yeah, Chris Fagan, he's been around the traps for a while. He was at Hawks when they uh, lost in 08. They missed finals for, for a few years there and then went prelim exit, grand final loss, and then they went on that three-peat. So he's as good as anyone you'd want at the helm right now. And uh, I think they've just got to drive bigger, stronger players heading into to next season. I love their midfield mix. Lockie Neal can't get any better, let's be honest. But a few of, the, a few of those other guys, can Cam Rayner push into the midfield? Um, do we see Hugh McCluggage become sort of that inside player a bit more? Has he got another gear to go? I think he's a, a super player, but um, he's only 22-23 right now. Um, they've got a couple of other guys, Eli Smith waiting in the wings. We haven't seen much of him, but a couple of these other kids sort of waiting around the traps. Can we see more of Kadeen Coleman? Um, these type of guys. So keen to see what they've got in that area. But the big one is Joe Danaher. Uh, I think um, 
really interesting to see what happens with that mix of that front half. Is three too many? Is Steph Martin done as well? I think probably that's something I should have mentioned earlier. Yeah, he, he, was was he was well beaten. He was well beaten last night. And Oscar McInerney showed when Steph was out with his back injury for the back half of the season that he can hold the mantle as number one ruck. Um, so maybe Oscar takes a bit more of that rucking next year, opens up at the forward line, they go with McStay, Hipwood and Danaher potentially. So something to watch. But um, I'm definitely, when I'll be putting my predictions in for 2021, I'll be definitely having the Lions top four. Yeah, do you reckon they'll be aiming for a premiership or a grand final next year? I have to be, have to be. If they've gone from uh, grand final, sorry, straight sets exit last year, would have learned a lot. Uh, and you speak about before Harper about their, their lack of intensity and their hunger. Well, uh, I think they were probably dominated a bit in those games last year and it felt a bit like that last night. I think Brisbane will learn a lot from that game last night. Go to the tape um, and watch the hardened Geelong team as to what they can do. And yeah, I reckon... Uh, Positive horizons ahead for the Lions. They should be uh, pushing for top four in a grand final berth next year. I'll tell you what I'd want to know about the Lions is, is what is in the water up there because it seems they consistently get injury-riddled players and they just turn their careers down uh, around. Like Grant Birchall, he had calf issues for two years. Lincoln McCarthy, you look at their injury list, they've got three players on it. Marcus Adams, among others, he's probably the main name. Like They've got such a strong, I guess, strength and conditioning staff. And they're also looking at Joe Danaher, who's obviously already had injury issues, as well as Nakai Cockatoo. Yeah. So, yeah, so they're really, I guess, resilient group. But it was interesting looking at their depth like tonight like their emergencies I think they all had under five games Payne who was a late in Coleman Hinge and uh, Fullerton um, I was going to ask Alex Witherden where does he fit in yeah so he was an emergency he wasn't in those in those four you mentioned no nah. No, no, yeah, yeah. I'm being a bit surprised by him this year. So obviously, Starsevich has stepped up, and and he had an injury-prone first three years at the club, and has had a really good year. I've got my eyes on Alex Witherden this trade period. I, I think the Lions, if they got a compelling offer from somewhere else, they'd be keen to let him. Well, not keen, but they'd be happy to explore the alternative for him. And Victorian kid, two years left on his contract. I'd be uh, keeping an eye on him. Archie's. Uh, come in. They've gone with Birchall. We mentioned Stasevich. Noah Answorth is around the mark as well. So uh, I think they'll be suitors for Alex Witherden. And, and now their season's done there. A few other clubs might start picking up the phone. So we were talking about it off air and uh, a bit at the start of the show. You're a big Cats fan, obviously. What are your feelings uh, leading up to the big game on Saturday? Yeah, it's funny. It hasn't really hit me. I'm, I'm sitting in uh, South Bank right now in Melbourne and Chong's into another grand final. I'd usually be uh, doing cartwheels right now, but it, <laughs> maybe it's because of how busy work's been or um, the fact I'm uh, 1,500 kilometres away down the road. But uh, I think it'll start to, to pick up. Um, I think that Geelong will have learned a lot from round 17. Um, we actually showed some numbers on the round so far after that game, John got trapped in their back half a lot that night. So guys like Menegola, Duncan, the guys you want to be using the ball going forward were chipping it around in their, their D50 and, and Richmond's pressure that night was super. Gary Ablett didn't play that night. Um, There's a few other injuries. Gary Rowan was a laid out um, that night as well. So I think the Cats will take heart from their finals, their last two finals and, and having learned a lot from, from Richmond. Uh, in saying that, the Tigers are going to be... Uh, Geez, they're going to be super. When they flick the switch, um, there's not many better. And if it gets greasy, uh, it might work in their, their favour, their conditions at the Gabba. But uh, I think we've got a pretty cool grand final coming up. 
Yeah, of course. Now, you mentioned before that you worked with um, Cam Guthrie's brother at AFL Media. Mate, how about those photo post-game, yeah. just the raw emotion with his teammate, I guess, cons- like console him after a win and him realising he's going to be playing off in a grand final? Yeah, I'm pretty jealous of Ben. Uh, he, he's, I worked with him at afl.com.au. He works for the AFL Players Association now. So one of the four Guthrie brothers, he and the uh, the rest of the family flew up to the Northern Territory, done their two weeks of quarantine and went to their first game this season as the prelim last night. And then uh, they get to see Zach, who was an emergency as well, consoling Cam in the rooms. And it would be pretty emotional. I, I know Geelong's, they, they've tried to say there's nothing in the preliminary final hoodoo, but it's hard to escape that there being anything else to it. And a lot of those guys, I think Cam got through maybe three or four losses. Uh, we know Dangerfield's lost a stack, Blitzarves. A lot of these guys have been around the mark for Geelong, have lost preliminary finals in key times. And they're now into a grand final. The monkey's off the back. And uh, I'm stoked for a few of those boys. They get the chance to, uh, to go around and uh, try and chase a flag. Yeah, a bit of a, obviously, a grand final like no other up in Queensland. But... If you win it, uh, what's it going to feel like, do you reckon, compared to uh, 07, 09, 11, obviously you being around for all of them as well? Yeah, I might need to get down to Geelong and start swinging <laughs> off from traffic lights again like they were back in, in 2007. I was just saying to you boys before, I still remember I was 14 back in, in 2007 and driving with the family back down the highway after watching the Cats win the a drought-breaking flag and, and driving through town, people were on cars and people's shirts off running down the street and then 16 was cool and then 18, I, I finally got to go out and experience it. So <laughs> it'll be weird this year. It'll be a good problem to have though if Geelong uh, do get the chockies. But uh, yeah, pretty jealous of those that get to go up to the Pink Flamingo or one of those up in uh, up in Goldie. <laughs> yeah, where'd, where'd you celebrate at uh, when you're 18? Is it the Eureka in Geelong yeah, or no, it was the Eureka. Eureka. Uh. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard, you boys have heard much about John, but Eureka was uh, the place to be back then. And then Lambie's on the Sunday night. So I reckon I would have done the double back then. Uh, but um, no, nah, it's uh, it's pretty cool. And who would have thought Gary Ablett, uh, I saw a stat this morning, 04, he played in a prelim for Geelong, um, had 13 touches that night. 16 years later, he's having 14 touches and, and still doing the business in a, uh, in a big prelim. Now he gets to chase. He's 30. He missed 2011, of course, but uh it's just a remarkable effort for this uh, for this footy club, and um, a large core of that group from 2011 is still there, and uh, they're now playing off in a grand final nine years later. Yeah, um, so we traditionally have a bit of uh, friendly competition at the end of the each show, but of course it's a bit of a different one. So we're splitting uh, our last segment, which is usually the quiz, into a few mini segments. And I actually know, uh, I think I messaged you one or two years ago, Mitch, on Twitter about. <laughs> getting a quiz onto AFL Exchange, but don't bother now because the where do we begin quiz is just a level above any other <laughs> quiz you could imagine. So it's a bit of a different quiz today. Uh, so I'm going to be pitting you two against each other and uh, we're going to have some different themes uh, with our different guests. But for you guys, I just need you to answer, uh, going backwards from the year 2019, each Norm Smith medalist. Oh. So uh, Lockie, do you want to start with 2019? Yep, Dusty. Mitch? Luke Shuey. Lockie? Dusty, but should have been Bashahooli. <laughs> Jason Johannesson? <laughs> yeah, correct. 2015, Lockie. This might get hard here. Yeah, I think that was the year still Rioli won it. That is absolutely oh, correct. Yeah. Yeah. Mitch, 2014? I always get these mixed up, so <laughs> I've, got, I've got a one in two chance. I'm going to go Luke Hodge. Luke Hodge is correct. 
2013 Lockie. Yep, went uh, went to this one, Brian Lake. Brian Lake's correct. You guys are doing well. 2012, Mitch. Ron O'Keefe. Yeah. Ron O'Keefe, correct. Lockie, 2011, a Cats player. Uh, Jimmy Bartel. Although he, I reckon his 2009 performance was just as good on Lenny <laughs> Hayes. <laughs> uh, so can we get the 2010 replay, Norm Smith medalist, Mitch? Scott Pendlebury. Oh, he's nailed it. 2010, uh, the draw, Lockie. See, I, it's Lenny Hayes, but I always remembered it as Brennan Goddard because he was awesome that game. So your answer is Lenny Hayes, and it's correct. Uh, 09, Mitch? Paul Chapman. Paul Chapman's correct. Going very well, guys. Uh, Lockie, uh, 08? I reckon Lockie's Googled these. <laughs> there seems to be a theme here. I keep saying people are robbed, but it was Luke Hodge, but it should have been Gary Ablett. <laughs> yeah, uh, 2008 is Luke Hodge, correct. Uh, 07, Mitch? Normie himself, Stevie J. Uh, he's nailed it. Uh, 06, Lockie. Mate, I was struggling for this one, but I think it was Andrew Embley. Absolutely correct. 05, Mitch? Chris Jard in a losing side. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of four, I think, one of four uh, to win in a losing side. 04, Lockie. Mate, I'm struggling here. So I'm, uh, I was six at the time, and my mum's a New Zealander, and my dad's not big on the footy, so there wasn't too much footy on the household at this stage to I convince him. I'm struggling here. It wasn't Byron Pickett, was it? Absolutely correct. It's Byron Pickett. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mitch, 03. This is a very good question. Oh, the, like I said before with the Hawks ones, I get mixed up between the years. Um, I think we nearly got this guy on the podcast once. Did we? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think this was when Jackson was on the show, Lockie. Okay. Right early on, yeah. Simon Black. You, Simon Black's correct. Obviously the star of some recent cash converters ads. Uh, <laughs> 2002, Lockie. I actually know this one, so... Th- Thank you that I got this one. Uh, Nathan Buckley in a losing yep. grand final. 2011. Uh, it's not 2011. 2001, sorry. Uh, Mitch, might be... Sean Hart. Sean Hart's correct. 2000. <laughs> Lockie. Oh, mate, I'm struggling here. I've got no idea. I would have been two at the time. I've never seen the game. I'm trying to think. I remember Shane Wawodin won the Brownlow that year, and I know I know Essen beat Melbourne by 56 points. Um <laughs> I think this is where we lose it, Mitch. Um, I'll go... If you get it wrong and Mitch gets it wrong, we'll keep going. Oh, right, I'll no, jump James in. James said, yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was the only player I knew. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll, I'll give it to you, Lockie, because I, I think you knew it. I think you said it. Uh, 90-99, Mitch? Yeah, I reckon Shannon Grant. Absolutely correct. Shannon Grant, uh, 19-98, Lockie. All this right, I'll, just, I'll save Mitch a bit of time. Andrew McLeod, 98, 97. Yep. Nailed it, 96. Yeah, you, you didn't know 96 was, did you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Glenn Archer. Yeah, correct. 95, Lockie. Uh, John Loss is one to Carlton. Um, the only Carlton player that I think, Greg Williams. He's oh. nailed it. Jeez. No way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 94, Mitch. <laughs> Like I said before, I get these mixed up when teams win the same time. It, it, it's a one, it's a fifty-fifty. Was it? Was it Dean Kemp? Dean Kemp is absolutely correct, Lockie. So uh, 1993. 93, yeah. So that's another Essendon Premiership. Um, there's only two players I know from that side. Oh, actually, no. Th- did Heard play in that one? 
I can't comment on I'm that, that. I'm afraid. I, he didn't win the Norm because I don't think he won two Norm Smiths. The only other two players, I think, um, could, I'll go. Um, oh, I think I think you might be me on this one. I'll just go Mark Harvey. Mark Harvey's incorrect. <laughs> Mitch, if you can name it, you win. Michael Long. Might not. Michael Long is absolutely correct, oh. and he's won it. We got, from we got a fair way back. Yeah, yeah you, you deserve that win. I, I fluked a couple of those. The James Heard one. <laughs> yeah. I uh, would not have got the um, the 2001 Brisbane Lions player. So <laughs> I think James Heard did play in 93, but uh, he was very young. And yeah, yeah, so yeah I didn't think Long, he won obviously all. winning that. Uh, all right. Yeah. Yeah, we got... Quick, so we got quick questions that we'll be asking all our guests for the podcast. So what's your tip and margin this week for the grand final, Mitch? Richmond by a goal. I just think they're, uh, they're too strong and uh, they'll, they'll have taken too much out of that round 17 game. Okay. And Norm Smith? Yeah, I like to go something left field. So we've had enough of Dusty, haven't we? Um, <laughs> all right. How about... You can tell I haven't really thought about this, this, this too much just yet. Um, Dion Prestia. Ooh, okay, and what, what will the Sunday headline be? I, I open up, I open up AFL.com, just click the page, and then what's the headline that I'm seeing? Meat, meatball whips up a storm. <laughs> <laughs> That's good stuff, good stuff. Well, uh, I hope Geelong gets up and we don't get those headlines or those tips because I don't think anyone other than Richmond fans wants Richmond to get up, but uh, we better leave it there because we've got to quickly get to our next guest. So thank you very much, Mitch. Thanks, Mitch. Thanks, boys. Jeez, we've had some great guests and they're just getting better because this one is one of the best footy journalists in South Australia. He works for the Adelaide Advertiser. Welcome to the show, Matt Turner. Hey, lads. How are you going? Thanks for having me. No worries, Matt. You timed that turn to perfection. You were facing down and then you just sort of faced up just as we said your name. <laughs> I, like, I like that one. He's it called Matt Turner good. for a reason, you know. <laughs> Yeah, hey, that's it. I've been called worse. It's, it wasn't a, it wasn't a deliberate thing. The sun is just going down over here. I've got a bit of glare in the eyes. I think I'm just trying to get a get a bit of a vibe for where the best position is in this afternoon sun. But I uh, hope you're going well over there in uh, in Victoria, mate. It's a big week, grand final week approaching, and um, yeah, like I said, thanks for having me on the show to discuss all things grand final. Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure. Now, first off, we'd just like to touch on a bit of Port Adelaide. Where do you think they lost the game on Friday night? Yeah, so, oh, look, epic game. The Power have had a uh, a bit of a penchant for losing in valiant style in their most recent finals. 2014, Hawthorne at the MCG, three-point loss. Uh, Andrew Moore had a kick late to put... Port Adelaide in front, missed. Angus Monfries kicked some late goals. Luke Hodge's mother had a bit of everything. And then 2017 elimination final, Port loses in probably the most uh, dramatic circumstances I can recall for any final, which is extra time after the siren for a free kick. That was quite controversial at the time. And uh, then Friday night, losing... Uh, by a goal, looked like another extra time situation might be upon us. I'm not sure Port people, let alone neutrals, uh, would have been able to handle that um, in terms of heart palpitations and whatnot. But uh, look, I think in terms of where the game was won and lost, 16 to 4 clearance count in the last quarter. Richmond went into the game second last in terms of averages in the league for clearances. 
this season. Port Adelaide first in the league in terms of averages this season, uh, in terms of clearances. And in the last quarter, Richmond completely flipped the script. Nank was enormous. They uh, were able to just control the stoppages and in a on a wet night, uh, which I think plays to their favour a little bit as well. They're, they're sort of scrappy, move the football ball forward at any cost, territory game, um, taps and little kicks off the ground. They were able to control the game from the clearances. So I think that's where it started. There are other little factors as well. It's easy to sort of point to a lot of different things to say, oh, geez, it could have been this, it was that. What about selection? Who, you know, who played well, who didn't? But at the end of the day, six-point loss um, probably comes down to a lot of things, but none more so than that clearance count. Yeah. Um, as a neutral, if you're watching a port final, you're pretty much guaranteed for a good game. I know <laughs> somehow that game against West Coast since 2017, I think, somehow massively underrated. It's one of my favourite finals. Just a great, amazing game from a neutral perspective. But I don't want to dwell uh, on that uh, loss too much. If any Ports fans are listening, they're probably a bit sad about that. We'll move on to next year. Uh, I think Ports going to do pretty well next year. I think most people are thinking that. What are your thoughts? Yeah, see, oh, look, it's, it's, it's an interesting one. We've seen a number of teams, haven't we, in recent years or probably further back than that, that have made a preliminary final or a grand final lost and then been the automatic prediction um, among journos and uh, the wider footy public, supporters and whatnot, as the team that is destined to take the next step. And, and Port's a great example of that. I still remember in 20... So Port Adelaide was pretty much a basket case if in the 2010, 11, 12 era. Ken Hinckley comes in, they go semi-final... Out of the blue in his first year, they, they beat Collingwood over in Melbourne, then lose to Geelong in another pretty epic sort of uh, game. And then the following year, they make it all the way to a, to a prelim final. Again, that, that game against Hawthorne that I mentioned. And I remember after that, a lot of the talk, not just in Adelaide, but uh, in, in wider footy circles, was that Port was primed to take the next step. That they were going to be the, the darling team, that they had, they had enough players and they, they would, would um, compete for a premiership in the years thereafter. Now, guess what? They, their next preliminary final was Friday night. They didn't get back <laughs> there for another six years. So that, what that says to me is two things. A, you can never uh, – or you need to take your opportunities when they're there, regardless of whether you're ahead of your time, in your window, whatever else. Um, Port didn't take that on Friday night. And the other thing would be – uh, that it, that they're hard that they're hard to get to um, as well, and and that not necessarily those teams are just going to automatically get there. I asked that same question of Tom Jonas after the game. I spoke to him. He was kind enough to chat uh, only 25 minutes after they lost. His take was that they are better placed than they were in 2014. They're a closer group. He thinks they're a more even group. He thinks their combination of young and old is better. I tend to agree with him. I think the butters. Dersma, Rosie, Triumvirate is very, um, uh, you know, that's as good a, a three-pack that a club's got in a draft for a while um, in terms of particularly not having, you know, none of them were top, five, uh, top three picks, I guess. Um, and then 
I think Port, what Port also has up its sleeve is they're very bullish on the guys that they drafted last year. We saw Mitch Georgiatis come in and have an impact for them. But Miles Bergman, Dylan Williams, Jackson Mead were also top 30 picks that they've got Yeah, I was going to ask the- you about that. How do you think they're going and do you think any of them can fill in Brad Ebert's position? Yeah, so I guess the, the tough thing for, for, um, for all uh, AFL clubs this year, mate, is obviously the fact that there were no second-tier competitions that had AFL players in them this year. So in Victoria, I know you guys didn't even have the VFL going this year. We had the SNFL over here, but Adelaide and Port Adelaide, as per the AFL rules, were not allowed to actually have... Um, their top-up players playing for the Crows reserves and the Port Adelaide Magpies. So what that meant was those two teams didn't play. The SNFL played as an eight-team competition. And so your guys like Miles Bergman, um, like Jackson Mead, like Dylan Williams, uh, but also players who, when they got dropped, say when Justin Westhoff at the end of the year, Riley Bonner at the end of the year, Jared Leanett, Cam Sutcliffe, they're having to find form in internal trials or trials against Adelaide or Justin Westhoff played a, played a trial getting flown up and playing for Richmond in a the, the week or two um, ago. So I think that wouldn't have helped a lot of the younger players around the competition. Uh, Port played, I think at one stage, they'd only played about 30 players. I'm not sure what the number finished up with. It might have even ended up around that. So one of the lowest in the league. I think next year they'll certainly try to get more games into those young guys. But at the same time, you want a balance between getting those games into the young guys. But if you're a club like Port that is clearly uh, thinks it's in, in the window right now, that you've got Dixon that's a little bit older, you've got Gray and Boak. So some of your best players are still your older guys. You don't want to go too far the other way and giving too many players a crack just for the sake of it. I think they'll, they'll balance it well. Brad Ebert's retiring, Justin Westhoff is retiring and uh, there's a couple of spots up for grabs. So, yeah, I do think you'll see maybe a Miles Bergman um, next year, Dylan Williams and Jackson Mead. I think all three of them, Port's Port's quite bullish about a lot of them. And then they're going to get a kid this year called Lockie Jones who they the, 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 the expectation is maybe a top 10 pick. He's an NGA prospect um, and... He's a halfback flanker built like a, a, a you-know-what, um, <laughs> brick, uh, brick something or other uh, in the, out the back. And um, he, he's uh, just – he's got a great mullet. He's um, been playing SNFL footy all year. And he and he won a premiership yesterday playing for Woodville West Torrens as an 18-year-old. He's got he's, – yeah, his thighs are uh, Ollie Wines-esque. Uh, <laughs> he's like – been like it to Shannon Hearn in terms of what Hearn was like over here in South Australia as a young fella. So he's another one that they'll come in, they'll match whatever bid uh, comes for him. So so they are well placed and they've got young players that will come in. Who knows what they'll do in terms of more experienced guys. But I certainly think that they can um, be there or thereabouts next season. It's just a matter of... Um, you know, they, they, like I said, it's not it's not just going to happen for them. We, who knows what's going to happen in terms of the fixturing and COVID and whatever else. So uh, they're well-placed, but a lot of water has to go under the bridge to get back to a preliminary final. Yeah, uh, you speak of, like, the draft and trades and stuff. I think just looking at this year, Port's found a good balance 
between the players that have been on the list the whole way through and the trades they've had incoming in the last maybe five years or so. But speaking of incoming trades, do you reckon there are any particular players they should be aiming to target or that you even know they're targeting? It feels like every year the name on uh, the lips over of, over in South Australia is Orazio Fantasia. And um, again, he looks like he may or may not be coming to South Australia. There was Ducks and Drakes last year. Port Adelaide, uh, I think, was waiting for him to publicly announce, hey, I want to come to Port Adelaide. He was um, in the process of getting a new manager at the time. It didn't end up happening. This time around, you know, he barely played any games for Essendon this year. And um, <laughs> it was quite funny. I remember there was a story a few, might have been a month or so ago, about him joining a golf club over here. He's actually a <laughs> South Australian. He's from Nord. He was a late draft pick. I think he played in the Nord SNFL Premiership. Um, but uh, his manager came out and said, oh, there was nothing to that story. But everything points to, and I think even Adam Kelly, the Crows GM, came out and said that they are interested in him if he declares he wants to come back here. So I think, yes, it's going to happen. He will come back to South Australia. But I think this time around, it looks like he's more likely to go to Adelaide. Um, he, Like I said, he's probably the most obvious name. There was some discussion uh, in the last little bit that maybe Port might try to get an emerging key defender around the place because one thing that has been a little bit of a problem for them this year is their uh, their heights down back. I think Tomahawk kicked six. Eric Hipwood kicked, might have been two goals, four, but he had a lot of shots when they lost to Brisbane. And and Tom Cleary did a really good job on Tom Lynch the other night, I thought. But, uh, you know, he, he's, he's 193. Lynch is a lot taller. Jonas is 188, and he's essentially their third tall. And then... Uh, the big moose, they call him, Trent McKenzie. We all call him the cannon in the footy public, but down at Port Adelaide, they call him the moose. Not sure what that's even uh, referring to, but he's only 192. So they could use some extra size down there. Um, and that was something that I had heard that, that was on their shopping list, but I hadn't heard any particular names around that. So, look. It makes you question... I was going to say, it makes you question why they shipped off um, Dougal Howard last year to the Saints. Yes, oh, for sure, mate. That, I mean, that's been a topical one over here. Dougal Howard finishes third in the BNF, um, which probably helps the argument that they shouldn't have traded him. But I, look, just this is without knowing for sure, this is just the top of my head thinking as to why they might have traded him. I think they need they, they wanted an extra pick. They really wanted Georgiatis um, in. And you looked at their list profile and thought, well, who... Who can they trade that, that they can replace? Um, so, you know, not Ollie Wines or one of their absolute top-end talent. Who can they jag a, a pick 18 for, which is the pick that they got? Maybe Dougal Howard had to be the make-weight to do that. Uh, and they used McKenzie, I guess, as the, the, the replacement this year. I think that's part of it. I also think... One thing Port wanted to do in its defence was to really improve its kicking. Um, and and what do we know about the cannon? I mean, he, he he's a he's a really good kick. He's uh, he could kick the ball. He could kick the length of the field. I reckon if he wanted to, if he really want, wanted to uh, test himself. But uh, Dougal Howard, he didn't bite off as much as he 
more than he could chew this year with St Kilda, which I thought was something that uh, really impressed me about him. Because with Port, he, he often tried to hit kicks that just were beyond him um, and would, would, would lead to a lot of turnovers. So good point. I think Howard, they, they, they'd love to have him as well, but I think it was a case of a win-win trade. There's no reason why that can't be a win-win trade where Port gets Mitch Georgiatis that becomes a great player uh, up forward for them um, and Dougal Howard and Paddy Ryder. I mean, we already saw what they what they uh, did for St Kilda this year. So there's no reason that can't be a win-win trade. But, but that is the position that I've heard that they're looking to maybe strengthen. Yeah, 100%. And now it's, we're recording this on a Monday, which would normally be Brownway Medal Night, but we actually had that last night. Um, yeah. I'd love to know your thoughts. Obviously, Lockie, Neil was a deserved winner, to no surprise to any, but were there any surprises on the night um, for you, apart from uh, Jack, the Jack Gunston one in round 18 with the uh, Gills <laughs> call? One of the all-time weirdest moments in Brownway Medal history, and, not, and like not even... It might be number one. It might be the weirdest <laughs> I've ever heard in Brownlow Metal history. Like if you had – someone should do a list ranking weirdest Brownlow Metal moments and – It should have been done during know, the COVID period. Well, when look, we had time. <laughs> exactly. Like I reckon Fev drunkenly giving uh, Juddy the, the chicken wing and uh, and stuff like that, I reckon that's less weird than than, than what happened last night because it was just completely out of nowhere. It was like, all right, what? hang on, what the hell? Like the, the most you, you, um, theatre you might get around a player's name is it'd be really drawn out like Jay Akamanis, you know, that <laughs> yeah. sort of thing. Uh, or, or, or maybe if there's two people with the same uh, name in the competition, he might say... The player's full name, like B. Smith, Brody Smith, rather than Bailey Smith, or something like that. I've never ever heard that situation coming in. The son of Ray and Mandy Gunston, Jay Gunston, or whatever it was. That that honestly hit me for six. I'm still. I'm, it's 24 hours later. I'm struggling to get over it. Um, but uh, in terms of the Brownlow, Lockie Neal, deserving win. He's a South Australian. Uh, from Kybe Bowlight down in the southeast, beautiful uh, part of the world. Yeah, well, there was a great story from a colleague of mine, Reese Humphrey, about Kybe, um, a town that doesn't have a town hall, it doesn't have a school, it doesn't have uh, a lot of things that you would expect of even small country towns. All it's got is a CFS station and a footy club, and now it's got a Brownlow medalist. It's also had Jack Trengover, uh, an AFL captain, so. It certainly punches above its weight uh, is, a, is an understatement. And I've, I've just loved Lockie Neal's rise because he was a late pick, um, regarded as too small. He goes to Frio, plays in a forward pocket, then he finally starts to get some midfield time. He wants to get even more uh, midfield time. Brisbane obviously was looked a, a bit of a weird move, I remember, at the time thinking, geez, he's going to a team that wasn't going great but as soon as he's got there that they've become a contender and um, well deserved he, he was certainly a, a super coach uh, legend this year for for anyone that that had him and um, a Brownlow medalist Trav Boak obviously with the South Australian flavor as well Port Adelaide much deserved I was I was happy to see him for 
for, um, for, for the season he's had. And he's also someone that puts in as much work as any player in the competition. He's got a sauna in his house. He goes to uh, Red Bull and, and the Nike um, factories in the, or the uh, institutes in the US every off-season um, to try and improve his fitness and his body. And at his age, to be having career-best seasons uh, is an inspiration to other older players, I would have thought. Um, I mean, there wasn't – if you looked at the top ten, there probably wasn't too many surprises. The fact that Melbourne had three players in the top 11 probably was a little bit of a surprise, like uh, considering where they finished. Petrarca, obviously, we knew would go well. But then Clary and um, – Maxi Gorn also being top 11 was interesting. Uh, and then, you know, I, I thought Jack McRae probably did a little bit better than, than what I thought. Bond probably not quite as good as what I thought. So there are a few little things here or there, but um, there wasn't anything that, that truly shocked me. Yeah, fair enough. But uh, we're fast running out of time, so we're going to get to – a one of our last segments, a little mini segment. Uh, we're splitting it up. Okay. Uh, we like to do a bit of a quiz on the show. Uh, yeah. and we've just been speaking about the Brownlow medal. In our last segment, we did the Norm Smith medal uh, with Mitch Cleary. So mm. for this quiz, it's going to be Lockie up against you, Matt. And I'm uh, going to be uh, asking you to name the Brownlow medalists as far back as you can. So we're just going to be rotating between Lockie and Matt. Uh, just going year by year. So, Lockie, we'll start with you, 2020. Uh, Lachlan Neal, three That's votes. Correct. Matt, who was 2019? Matt, five. Correct. 2018, Lockie? Uh, Titch, Tom Mitchell. Correct. 2017, Matt? 2017. Uh, I'm actually forgetting already, to be honest. Um, might be an early elimination. It could be an early elimination. Let me just think about this for a moment. 2017 was Dustin Martin, I think. That is absolutely correct, yes. Lockie, 2016. Danger. Correct. 2015, Matt. Jeez, now we got another one here. Uh, um, I've, I've got the – I always get the um, AFL season guides out. Twenty. So that would be a 2016 season guide, wouldn't it? Um. Five again? Five is correct. <sighs> Matt Prittis. Matt Prittis for 2014. Matt Prittis, 2014. 2013, Matt. Yes, now it's battling <laughs> again here. I'm... You really put the pressure on him, Lockie. Give those quick <laughs> answers. It's, you know what it is? My, my 90s Brownlow knowledge is incredible. <laughs> but my, uh, my, my 2013 Brownlow knowledge is the 2013... Well, I'm just trying to think, was it a Gaz or Juddy year? Like, it was one of those. They won twice. It wasn't a Gaz, was it? That's correct. Gary Ablett won it in 2013. Oh, we might need to cut out a bit of that deliberation, <laughs> make it a bit quicker for the listeners. Um, 20, so now up to 2012. We're up to 2012. I'm actually struggling here because I know so, Swan oh, won 20. There were 20 co-winners in 2012. So co-winners. Uh, name one each. Because Joe Watson got the medal stripped off. Oh, All right, yeah. Oh, jeez. Trent Cotchin. Trent Cotchin yeah. is one. And who's the other, Matt? Samuel Mitchell. Otherwise, no. Correct. Yep. Uh, 2011, Lockie. Ah, uh, Swanee. That is correct. 2010, Matt. Look, I could be wrong, but I would have thought then that 
Juddy was probably due for one. Judd. Nailed it. 09, lucky. Gaz. Correct. 08, Matt. Oh, 08, the whole, now I, I'm probably going to have to go with Bartel because that's the only one I can. Oh, hang on. Uh, well, if you name it right now, I'll give it to you. When did Cooney win it? I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> Adam Cooney, maybe. Adam Cooney is absolutely correct. Jimmy Bartel. Jimmy Bartel, 07, <laughs> oh, 06, I'll give, I'll give it in the head. <laughs> this keeps throwing the pressure on you. 06, Matt. 2006. Uh, was that? We'll go with Ben Cousins, but it might have been 05. Ben Cousins was in 05. Mm. It's Adam Goods, 06. So uh, very well done, Lockie. Uh, anyway, Lockie, I believe you've got some quick rapid-fire questions for Matt before we go. Yeah, all right, rapid-fire questions. Matt, mm. um, who's the Premier and what's the margin? Look, I tipped Geelong at the start of the final, so I probably should stick with that. Uh, that's not very rapid fire because I was about to give you 35 reasons why I thought they'd win. <laughs> so I'll stick with just Geelong and a margin will go with uh, 11 points. Love it. And Norm Smith medal. Ooh, what did I say at the start of the finals with that? I said Sam Manigola in our pre-finals prediction, so I'll stick with Sam Manigola. Perfect. And what would the Sunday headline be? Uh, I mean, we always joke in our office about the headline, Great Scott. Anytime there's someone called Scott by first name or surname. So if they really want to go with the one millionth Great Scott in uh, journalism history for Chris Scott, they could probably go with, with that. But I think it'll be fairy tale finish or something to that effect for a Gaz headline and gee what a great game he played the other night just to show people that uh, he's allowed to have a couple of uh, down finals he he was just getting back into shape but when the game was there to be won the other night he was just about the best player on ground and uh, I think given what's at stake and the fact he hasn't been there since 2009 it's all um, there for him to to be the man on on Saturday I'd love to see him win it but uh, I'd I'll stick with Managola and I'll stick with fairy tale finish for Gaz or something to that effect. I don't think anyone would be too displeased if Gary Ablett had his fairy tale finish other than maybe some Richmond fans, but we've gone mm. on a while. We've got to get to our next guest. So thank you very much, Matt Turner, for coming on the show. No worries. Thanks for having us, uh, guys, and uh, enjoy the grand final this week, particularly you, Lockie. Hopefully your cats can get up, mate. Okay, and for our next guest, we've got two fans of each of the competing teams. We've got Penelope and Claire. Welcome to the show, guys. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thanks for jumping on. Um, I'll start with you, Claire, a Richmond fan. So yeah. um, what, what were your initial thoughts when you won on Friday night? What were, what were your feelings? What were your emotions, you know, going to a third grand final in four years? I honestly, I didn't really expect it because it's kind of like too good to be true. It's all happening so fast, like three premierships in four years, obviously. In a bit Getting of ahead of yourself. Yeah. No, but it's crazy that this is happening all just so fast, really. I think I'm pretty, I'm kind of confident, but like now that it's so close to the game, I'm a little nervous as well. And especially because like Penelope's my best friend and she's a supporter. <laughs> like last year, we went to the preliminary rematch together and 
obviously we smashed Geelong. So. <laughs> did you know that, Lockie? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did, and I'll have to call up Cambridge Dictionaries. I think it was about a 20-point win. I wouldn't call that a smashing. <laughs> I think it was, we all knew who was going to win. Oh, I, I, don't think, I don't think we did it uh, three, yeah. uh, half-time when we were by three goals. But <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, it's been a bit of a crazy season in general, really, but how are you feeling, Penelope, about the game early on? Oh, my gosh, I'm just so stoked. Like, the whole day yesterday I was trying to convince myself, like, no, it's all right. It's all right if we lose because our track record in the prelims hasn't been great. But then like half an hour before the game, I was like so nervous. And then the last quarter, I just couldn't believe it. Like I was like, is this really going to happen? And we're holding on the whole way. And then now I'm just like, this is insane. Because I was like eight in 2011. So I cannot remember really like what it's like at all. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I feel like you appreciate the premiership so much more the older you get because you realise that they don't come around too often. Because I remember as a Cats fan when I was younger, you sort of thought, well, winning premierships every second year, that's just sort of how it goes. <laughs> but I've definitely found out the last 10 years, which is nowhere near as long a wait as I'm sure other fans out there have had to go, that premierships don't come out, come around too often. So I'm definitely savouring this week and I can't wait to, um, yeah, get around it. Now, Claire, how do you think if you win this week would compare to the other two flags? Do you think this would be the best being the third and the fact that you've gone through so much off field? I mean, I definitely think that like Richmond have put in so much effort this year and they've been so resilient with all of the conditions, but I don't know. There's, I think I'm a little biased because I'm in Victoria and I can't actually go this year and I was able to go the last two times, which was an amazing experience. So like, I'm a little sad. I just have to watch it (laughs) from the TV, but um, no, I think it'll be great. I think it'll be an amazing way to end 2020 because, you know, for the year it's been, that would just be incredible. But, yeah, there's something about the 2017 Premiership that I think it, it just can't be beaten because I just, yeah, I have always been going to games with my dad when I was little and it would always just be losing and losing and losing. So actually winning one in 2017 was crazy for me. Yeah, uh, Penelope, it's obviously going to be a very different experience for you because you haven't won a premiership in nine years and not in your memory, really. So what are your thoughts? Um, I'm just like, I don't even mind that it's on the TV, I, I don't think, because it's just the being in it is enough for me. It's just crazy, I think. So oh, I just <laughs> can't even get my head around it at the moment. Yeah, 100%. I guess following, just following up on that, Penelope, if Cats were to win, who do you think will be the key players? Like, who do you think will, I guess, yeah, play a major role on the day? Well, obviously, you know, our our stars, Danger, Ablett, Selwood, like, keeping the teams together. I reckon Menegola, like, after his performance last night, definitely. I've got a little soft spot for Grian Myers. Oh, his goal in the last quarter, like, made me shed a few tears. I was just like... <laughs> Like with his unique kicking, um, and definitely like Hawkins, if he's on his game, will be like. Yeah, got to say, I wasn't to looking too good for Grime Lies at the start yeah. with a dropped mark and a few other mistakes. But what about you, Claire? Uh, who do you reckon the key players will be for the Tigers if you get up? Um, well, obviously, Dustin, because that's the thing. I feel like if he's playing well, then I reckon we've got it in the bag. But if he's not playing well, like it really depends who's playing on him. Like if Dangerfield's playing a great game and he's on Dustin, that makes me a little nervous, obviously. But I think, like, the beauty about Richmond is that you don't really – we don't really have, like, star players that we need that are, like, super critical in the game. It's kind of like we are such a – like, we have such great teamwork 
Yeah, a cohesive unit kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Now, I guess we'll uh, – Penelope. So, apart from Dusty, who are you worried about from the Richmond lineup? Because obviously Dusty's the obvious one, but what other players are you worried that will get on top? Um, definitely Basher Hooley because his last two performances have been pretty impressive, especially 2017. I remember watching him and I was just like <laughs> – 100%. This I'm surprised he hasn't had a Norm Smith medal, in my opinion. You should have won it in 2017. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, Claire, what about you? Is there a particular Geelong player that you're kind of shooting yourself to come up against? Uh, like I said, just really Dangerfield scares me a bit. I feel like he's incredible when he's playing a good game. So he definitely makes me the most nervous. Yeah, definitely. Um, I also scared of Dangerfield because I don't know if you saw, but the Juan Cats media team put it together a little um, Father's Day package, and Dangerfield's son said his dad, my dad's a T Rex. Oh, well, <laughs> uh, that scares me even more now. So thanks. <laughs> yeah, Penelope. I don't want to put bad thoughts in your head, but if worst comes to worst, and the Cats do lose on Saturday, uh, what do you reckon will be the reasons for that? I reckon. Sometimes when we when we don't start out great, when we don't have that energy, and if and if Richmond can take advantage of that, and we don't get back on, then that could be quite dangerous, and that'll be pretty <laughs> devastating. But also, you know, we do have a way of working our way back up when we're down occasionally as well. Same for so, you, Claire. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Sorry. Same for you, Claire. What do you think would have, I guess, gone wrong for Richmond to lose? And um, condolences in advance because cats are going to win. Mm, I won't need them, thank you, but that's sweet. Um, I think probably, like, when we're playing a great game, I think it's because we're applying so much pressure, but sometimes when we lose it and it all goes a bit wrong, it's because we, we aren't able to stick on our players and get to the ball first. So I think that's usually where, if that happens at the start of the game, I feel like that's where it all just goes downhill from there. But I reckon we, I, we're going to apply the pressure. I think we won it this year. So Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. very nervous. I think Richmond are a great team and it's going to be bloody tough. I, it'll uh, be such a good <laughs> game because, I know, Geelong have been doing so well. Like it's And especially I was talking to Penelope earlier and we were talking about how like the past two Geelong games have just been so good. And so I'm a little nervous, but it'll be good. I think this is the best result for footy, Geelong and Richmond getting through. I think it's going to be an absolute cracking game now. I think, Harper, you have something special planned. Oh, yeah. So we'd like to do a bit of a last mini segment. It's a bit different on this show, but, uh, of course, when you think of the Where Do We Begin podcast, you think of the illustrious guest, the awesome host, and, of course, you think of the famous Where Do We Begin quiz. So Lockie's going to sit out for this one because we've got two other people. So that means it's going to be Claire versus Penelope. Pretty simple. Three Richmond Geelong-based questions. Are you ready to go? Oh, oh no. I don't know about this. Okay, so, uh, your name is Buzzer. We'll start with question one as per tradition. First question is, so, of course, Richmond played Geelong this year in round 17, Friday, September the 11th. Where was the game? Are the mics oh, off? Man. <laughs> I pushed the mics off. No, my audio is not working, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Does anyone want to have a stab in the dark? Penelope, no, you go. Um... What, round 17, did you say? Round 17 and, yeah, just a bit of a month ago. Oh, gosh. Was it at... Harper, where are you at? Was it at... <laughs> Metricon? 
Metricon is absolutely correct. Yeah. Well, for a fly, guys. How about that? All right, so question two. Claire, it's your chance to earn back some respect. It's close to the pin one. Combined, how many VFL AFL premierships did Geelong and Richmond have? Mm, combined. Yeah, combined. And VFL. AFL, VFL, yep. Um, I'm going to say 18. Okay, 18. What's your guess, Penelope? Of all time. Yep, VFL, AFL. So that's 1897 to now. Oh, like... Oh, 200? <laughs> I don't know. 200 seasons. So uh, I think Claire's just got the point. It's 21. 21. Uh, Cats have nine. Tigers won 12. So it's one all. But question three, it's a who am I question. So if you get it early, uh, you can get three points. But I'm going to go down from three points all the way down to one point with a series of clues and uh, once you buzz in and get it wrong, you can't buzz in again until the other person gets it wrong. So we'll start with a three-point clue. And remember, it's all Geelong and Richmond related. So for the three-point clue, I was born on the 28th of September, 1992, probably in Victoria, but unfortunately his Wikipedia page didn't show where he was born. Anyone want to go big with a guess on the three-point clue? Is that all we get? Is that all? I'll go, I'll go to the two-point clue. I'll go to the two-point clue. Okay. I've played a total of 165 AFL games and kicked a total of 162 goals across three clubs. So played for three clubs. Played 165 games. Hmm. Should I move to the one-point clue? Hmm. All right, I'm going to move it on. Yeah. So for one point, I started my career at Gold Coast where I played two seasons. Then I moved to Geelong, played four seasons there, and I'm currently at Richmond, and I've played four seasons there. Oh. Lucky's keen to get in, so I'm going to give Lockie's you guys five going, seconds. Going in. I can't remember his name. All right. Uh, Lucky, you looking like a bit of a keen five-year-old there. So what's your guess? Uh, jo- Joshua Caddy. Yep, Joshua that's Caddy it. is absolutely correct. Caddy's been out. He's barely been playing this year. Has, yeah, has he been, he's, like, dropped? Or, uh, no, he's, he's like, our team's just too good. They're just... He doesn't really have a place right now, but, I mean, if something were to happen before the grand final, I'm pretty sure he could be put in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, fair enough. But I, I do know for a fact that he listens to this, and I'd say he'd be pretty pissed off with none of you remembering who he is. I know. Well, he needs to play a game. I haven't seen him in ages. Fair I'm pretty enough. sure he played in round 23. Oh, sorry, round 18. Um, Did he? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, Lockie, I believe you've got some questions before we wrap it up. Yep. All right. So I'll rapid fire questions. Um, I'll go with Claire first. So um, tip for the day and margin. Um, I reckon Richmond by 22 points. Okay. Love the confidence. And who will get Norm Smith? Uh, I'm going to say Hooley just because that would be great. He deserves that. Yeah, like it. And so what will the headline be on Sunday morning, all the newspaper headlines? Oh, I don't know. Just any newspaper headline? Yeah. I reckon... If you were writing the headline on Sunday morning, what would you say? Three-time tiger. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, Penelope, Ti- tiger-rific. Margin. <laughs> um... 
I reckon Cats by two goals. And your North Sith medalist? Maybe Menegola. <laughs> Menegola and your Sunday headline? Oh, Cats break Tigers. <laughs> cats break Tigers. <laughs> What's it called? Streak. <laughs> creativity. Herald Suns can be employing you any day now. Oh, yeah. What a compliment. Well, I think we better leave it there, guys, because we've got another guest to get to. But thanks very much for coming on. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Okay, and we're fast approaching the end of the show, and we're going over to Ohio in the United States for a very special guest. His name is Craig Whistles. Uh, welcome to the show, Craig. Thank you. Thank you very much, here. Hey, pumped to have you, being on. Pumped, you, pumped to have you on today. How are you going? Cats, Cats one. I'm, this is the second I'm, Cats fan we got on the podcast, so there's a bit of a flavour here. I'm uh, I'm very excited. You know, I'm a, I'm a lifelong Cleveland sports fan, and if you're a, if you're a sports fan <laughs> of anything in the, in the United States, we don't have a lot of success. Uh, we won a, an NBA championship a couple of years ago, but that's only the second one in my 57 years <laughs> that we've won. So a little St. Kilda-ish. Yeah. <laughs> so how'd you how'd you become a Cats fan? I about four years ago I would come home. I, I work as a public address announcer at football and soccer games. And one night a week, the, the TV channels, one of the TV channels here would have a, an AFL game on. And I started watching and I got more and more interested in it and just became enamored with it. It was just fascinating to watch. And it, it took me most of that season and then into the, you know, the off season to figure out which team I wanted to support. I mean, I completed spreadsheets in terms of how teams had done over the previous years. And, and again, going back to being a, a, a long suffering Cleveland sports fan, I, I kind of looked at, you know, a team that said, okay, this one looks like it's had some success. And I, I started talking to people online and they said, well, you know, you can't barrack for this club. And, you know, everybody's a magpie supporter and, you know, Richmond has just won the premiership and you don't want to be a bandwagon fan. And, you know, this team has just been in the comp, so they're not very good yet. So I thought, you know, I'm going to go ahead and I actually got it narrowed down to the Magpies, the Lions and and Geelong. And I decided to go with the Cats. You made the right choice. (laughs) (laughs) I think so, too. I've met some great people online. I've I've interacted with folks online that uh, that have been very welcoming and opening to help help me learn more about the game. So and I and I truly appreciate that. Uh, I did a. uh, I did kind of like a swag exchange with a uh, a cat supporter who happens to be a Cleveland Browns and Cleveland Indians fan. So he sent me a bunch of cats gear in the mail, and I sent him a whole bunch of Cleveland Indians and Cleveland Browns stuff, including a binder that had about almost a thousand uh, baseball and football cards going back <laughs> to the 1970s into the present day, uh, all duplicates because all the rest of them are going to go to my son and hopefully my grandchildren someday. So we kind of <laughs> done a gift exchange there with that, but. It's been some really neat people that I've talked to. Yeah. Now, before we get into a bit of analysis around the season and the grand final, the prelims, uh, I'm curious as to what their perception of Aussie rules is in America. I know some people think it's rugby and uh, exactly. like Pat McAfee uh, was kind of into it for a few weeks, but that kind of died off. So what's their uh, perception of it in the States? Well, well, first off, I have to say that, you know, if – if any of you have, have looked at my Twitter feed, which is yank underscore on, it's, I'm, I'm there to learn about the game. But somehow I managed to get blocked by Pat McAfee's Twitter account. Oh. I don't know what I did. I don't know what I said. I don't think I said anything, but maybe I was just persistent in saying, hey, you should you know, check out this game. I've been blocked. I don't know what I did. 
So, <laughs> Pat, if, if there's something I said, I apologize. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's really it's, it's an unknown. It's because, you know, the games, you know, for a while we were only getting one game a week and then a couple games. And uh, this year with the, the lockdown and with baseball having been shut down for several months and college basketball ending, the, you know, ESPN and Fox Sports were scrambling for content because you can only show 20-year-old boxing matches so many times before people go, oh, he's going to get hit right here. It's going to happen right now. There, see, I told you. And uh, so they started airing more and more games. So we were getting seven or eight of the AFL games each week that were being broadcast live for, on free television. Now, I've had the Watch AFL app now for four years, which is absolutely a great investment. But, you know, it's something that most people haven't heard of. But when they actually sit down to watch it, they get fascinated by it. And I've, con- I've converted a couple of uh, people into becoming fans. One of them... I will let you know, has chosen to become an Essendon supporter. So oh, good on you great there. Bike, great um, condolences. Yeah, he, can you give condolences to your mate? <laughs> <laughs> he's uh he's the principal at, at the school where I teach. Oh, um, but you know, you know, I'll come in, in in the mornings and I'll have games on in the mornings or I'll be watching 360 or something like that or bounce. And or if there's games that are on live, you know, my kids that come in, in my first class of the day would would see it on the television. And a lot of those kids are athletes, and they become fascinated by what they saw. And some of them got interested and began recording games, but there really hasn't been that groundswell at my school about it. But it's been, it's been a little bit of interest. Um, but uh, there is, you know, a huge base with the USAFL here, where we've got thousands of people that play the game here in North America and, and around the world as well. And um, and not not all of those people who are playing it or necessarily fans of watching it but I, th- I think it's a great opportunity for these networks to actually sh- you know show another live sport and even and I, I still to this day think that if they were to put on like a highlight show each week you know of like here's what happened and have it on at like eight o'clock at night our time which is the middle of the night for you guys and and promote it because I've never seen a commercial that have said hey you know the the you know the cats and uh Cats and Tigers are going to be playing next week, or the Saints and uh, Bulldogs are playing at this point in time. I've never seen a commercial for that anywhere. It's just the game shows up. And so it's not marketed terribly well here as far as the game being watched at the AFL level. So I think that they're missing an opportunity for that because I, I, I hardly watch baseball anymore. I don't watch, you know, I'll watch the Cleveland Browns play, but that's it, pretty much it as far as the NFL goes. I, I'm, I'm, I'm caught up in footy, and that takes up most of my sports watching time now. Mate, greatest, almost all of it. Yep, greatest sport. It almost sounds a little bit like the 1950s movie um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. You just slowly convert one, and then the other, and then oh. the other, and then the other. Then suddenly it's a plague. Everybody's watching AFL football in America. Yeah, it's uh, like I said, I've I've converted a couple of people, and we're still waiting to find out whether or not the grand final is going to be carried live on television here. Because if it's if it's not, I have somebody coming to my house next week at I think at four thirty in the morning to watch the game. <laughs> well, it's it, it's interesting that you say that because I actually so back in twenty eleven, so I'm a massive Geelong fan, and unfortunately, my mum decided she booked in a trip for us to go to America, and I actually watched the twenty eleven Grand Final Geelong against Collingwood on ESPN two. Okay. Where, where were you? You were here in the States watching it. Yeah, then. I was here in the States. Yeah, so my auntie now lives up in Colorado, but she lived in Oxnard okay. at the time. So, yeah, I watched it there. It was awesome. Terrific. Terrific. Yeah. And I wish we had more of it, though, that was being broadcast here. Yeah. If uh, 
Pat McAfee or LeBron James or Tom Brady's listening to this, where can you watch? Uh, where can you watch the footy in the states? Um, typically, uh, FS2 was carrying the games. Uh, they have they've they've normally carried most of the games on the Fox Soccer Plus channel, which is a, a like it's a pay service. It's kind of like Netflix, where you have to pay a little extra to get like the international soccer games and that type of thing. ESPN or ESPN Two has been carrying a game or two as well, but they've normally throughout this summer, which has been great for the for the neophytes, the new fans, they've been carrying seven or eight of the games each week, and they've been alternating between uh, you know they might have a game on FS1 and then FS2 and then ESPN, and it would just kind of rotate through the schedule. And uh, the one the one drawback, and this is a, a gentleman I interviewed a couple weeks ago who runs a, a, a group called Afana here in the States, which has been promoting the game for years. One of his big pet peeves is that when the game gets done here, you don't see the, you don't see the team singing the song in the locker room, in the changing room, that sort of thing. It's basically the horn sounds... There's 30 seconds of shaking hands, and then they cut to the next program. There's yeah. no closure to the game at all. There's no post-game interview or anything of that nature. There's, there's, it's just like, okay, it's over. Let's move on to something else. And occasionally they'll, if it ends too soon and they're waiting for the next show to start, they'll show like a 20-minute a montage of rugby highlights. Oh. It's, the, it's the same set of highlights with this really fast-paced techno music being played <laughs> over top of it, making this correlation that, hey, the game you just watched, must be the same thing as this, but it, it's absolutely not. So yeah, it's um, it's it's something that I wish that they would just you know pay just a little more attention to in terms of of saying you know what this game is as you said it, it's a fantastic game. I've heard people call it the platypus game because it is you know made of so many parts. I the way you know because people ask me how to describe it, and I said way back in my first episode, I said it was a combination of of American football, soccer, cross country running, rugby volleyball mixed martial arts and calculus is the way i described it because it, it take it, it's got all those elements in in it because it you know because I, I i jokingly call soccer a communist sport because they don't let you use all of your body parts <laughs> you know <laughs> so it's you know and i announce soccer and i call it that yeah. so <laughs> so getting to the game this week so obviously richmond have made another grand final what are your thoughts on that and what do you think is their keys to victory <sighs> you know i I, I put out an episode this morning after the game, and I have, you know, I tipped, I tipped Port Adelaide in this game, and to my peril, I have tipped against Richmond several times this year, and they've continually proven me wrong. And I, and I come out the next week and say, you know what, they're the defending premiers until somebody beats them. You know, they, they, they play their system so well that even though they may not have, they may not be the most talented group of players, they play, they're, they're you know instead of having, you know, six or eight superstars on a team or four or five superstars, they've got a whole group of very, very good players that play very well together as a team and know what the other guy is going to be doing, where they're going to be. They're going to be hard to beat for anybody. They're going to be hard to beat for Geelong, but, uh, you know, I, I'm cautiously optimistic. I, you know, I, I can't – I'm probably going to tip my hand here. I'm probably going to tip the Cats this week because I'm a Cat supporter. I have to do that. But it's uh, – I won't be shocked if the Tigers win because they're a really good club. I, I can't, you know, and this is one of those things that as somebody who came to the game so late in life, I don't have in my DNA that I'm supposed to hate this team or that team, you know, because I've been told by cat supporters, I'm supposed to hate Hawthorne. You know, I, I, but I don't, I don't have that in me because I, I love the game. I love watching great footy being played. And sure, I would love to see my team win every game. 
And if a team could lose in, you know, this is going to help my team standing on the ladder, then I want to see that team lose. But I don't, I'm not somebody that goes out of my way and, and hates on another club because I, I just can't, uh, I can't do it. But is, yeah, I think the cats have, you know, they've got everybody healthy going into this last round. They've got a, a tremendous amount of options in terms of who they're going to be able to bring in if they need to, you know, the, the, uh, the Tigers lost their ruck. Uh, Markoff, I think it is. Soto. A couple weeks ago, hurt his knee. Yeah. Oh, so that's right. Soto hurt his knee. That's the other. The other guy's the one with the really big, bushy mustache. No, that's Soto. Um, Soto's yeah. the one with the stash. Okay. Um, yeah. He he and Lysette should have been uh, extras in the movie Tombstone because they look like uh, old west gunfighters. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I I think it's going to be a fascinating game. It's probably going to be more of a low-scoring game than we realize. Just because both of them play tremendous defense, and it's gonna it's gonna be one heck of a chess match, I think. Yeah, um, the Cats last night, uh, well, last night our time. We're recording this on a Sunday. It was really noticeable. Just their structure in defense is just amazing. The way they zone off and the way they mark each position or mark each man is yeah. It was like like uh, no other team really. It was great structure and great defense, like you said. But yeah, I think you've got a really good. Um, uh, informed opinion because you've probably got less influence on you in the States like compared to someone like me of Richmond fans screaming my ear everywhere but maybe I'm wrong uh, <laughs> but I've got to ask who were your um, pre- uh, tips for premiers or grand finalists coming into the season? I think I if I remember correctly and I'd have to go back it's going to be in one of the earlier episodes and I, I don't have it written down in front of me I'm pretty sure I, I tipped uh the Tigers to be back in the grand final again. I know I had GWS in the finals and well, that worked out really well. Um, You know, I, I'm thinking I might've had, uh, it might've been the Tigers, the Eagles going into the finals this year. You know, and I think I had the cats finishing top four, but I know I had GWS in the top eight. And uh, yeah, I think I had, I think I had port rebounding. Um, I don't think I had St. I know I didn't have St. Kilda in the top eight because I didn't think they were going to be there yet, but they were, they were a very pleasant surprise. And, uh, and I, and I think next year, I think, I think Frio is going to make a push for the top eight next year. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think within two, three years, Frio will be playing, playing off in a Frio and final minimum. Yeah. Yeah. I think that they, they play some fantastic defense. If they can figure out how to score some more points, you know, they've got, I think they've got the right coach for that situation. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I think the turnaround in Adelaide is going to be a lot quicker than people think as well. Yeah. You know, because they they hit rock bottom this year, and I think they're yeah, you know it's, once it's this is, once the that. season's done, they're going to offload some of these older players, and they're going to start that youth movement here real quickly. Yeah, and you mentioned for uh, it just looks like they've got most of the ingredients to some good success. They had the rising star this year, of course, but mm-hmm. uh, where fast running out of time so we're going to get to a little mini segment we put at the end of each section in the show uh it's a little Uh-oh. quiz between uh you craig and Lockie. so uh how much do you know about grand finals with the past craig uh i really i not a whole not too terribly far back i know that uh somebody i, I talked to quite a bit online that does another podcast is a big bulldog supporter um i know the cats last one in 2011 um not a whole heck of a lot. I know Richmond's won two out of the last three, and the Eagles won one in there. So go ahead, embarrass me. <laughs> okay. So uh, 
This, well, we've had a bit of a grand final theme, of course, throughout each quiz in the show, a bit different. So it's going to be Lockie and Craig. Uh, just going to be naming, going backwards from 2019, the loser of each grand final. So the runner-up each year. So uh, we'll start with you, Craig, 2019. Who was the runner-up? Yeah, well, uh, I, don't, I don't even think GWS got off the bus, quite uh, frankly. <laughs> that is absolutely correct. GWS, Lockie, 2018. Collingwood. Collingwood, yep, nailed it. 2017, Craig? I think it was West Coast. West Coast is incorrect. Uh, so, Lockie, if you get Adelaide. this one right, it is oh, Adelaide. Oh, that's right. It was the power stance move, wasn't it? It was yeah. that one where they all, yeah, it's where they all tried to look tough. That, yes, <laughs> dead gummit. Yeah, because West Coast won the next year. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, all good. But, uh, yeah, you, you knew it deep down, but... Uh, Lucky will take the win on this yep, one. So now we've got some uh, we've got some rapid fire questions for you that we're asking all oh. our guests. So the first one is oh. is what, who's your tip for the grand final and the margin? I'm going to go with the cats, and I'm going to say seven points. Yep. I want and, that little comfort zone at the end. Yeah. Okay. And Norm Smith medal prediction. I'm going to say Dangerfield's going to have a game of his life. Okay. Now here's the one. So I'm opening up my newspaper on the Sunday morning. What's the headline that I'm seeing? Chris Scott vindicated. He oh, he won yeah. one with he won one with his own team instead of the team that he inherited in 2011. That's a good call. Yep, uh, I agree with that. I reckon. I think if the Cats do get up, that will be a good headline that they'll the newspaper headline wise will be writing all across the country. But Craig, uh, it's been a great little segment here. So, but I think we'll leave it there. So, thank you very much for coming on. You bet, gentlemen. Absolutely uh, terrific to be on. I'm hoping to get you guys on my podcast as well here over the winter time. Here, absolutely pleasure. Terrific. Yeah, it's going to be a uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to watching this and looking forward to listening to you guys and retweeting your uh, your links to your show as well, gentlemen. Thanks a bunch. Okay, we're fast approaching the end of the show again, but this is an absolutely huge guest and he's a bit of a journalistic idol of mine, I've got to say. It's the great man, Rowan Connolly. Welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. And uh, I don't know why I've been uh, an idol of anyone's, to be perfectly <laughs> honest, but uh, no, I'm suitably flattered. Uh, good to be on. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. I don't think there's a more fitting person to have on for Grand Final Week, considering you've been to almost 50 Grand Finals, but that streak ends this year. Oh, no, I'm, I'm filthy on it. Uh, I've been to every grand final since 1973, including the replays, and uh, I was all set to bring up the half century, and coronavirus hit, and uh, it's going to be, I've got to be honest, as much as I love it, it's going to be a day of really mixed emotions for me, and uh, it's just going to feel really weird, A, watching it, it at night and but mainly from uh, my lounge room and, you know, a thousand kilometres away and uh, I'll probably shed a, a sentimental <laughs> tear at some stage but hopefully still enjoy the game and uh, that's a good thing, I suppose. I, I think we've got a, a terrific game to look forward to. You know, these are two great sides, the undoubted best side of the last four years up against the best, the most consistently performed side of the entire AFL era, you know, so it, it's a great clash and I don't want to put the mocker on it, but I'm, I, it's just got classic written all over it. So let's hope the game actually delivers that. I think I couldn't agree more. As a Cats fan, I've definitely got mixed emotions. I'm so happy that my team made it, but not being there as well, it's it's really tough. But I, I agree with you. I think it'll be a great contest, probably in my opinion, the two best teams uh, made it, so I'm really excited for the contest. Now, it's interesting that you touched on it being a night grand final. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm filthy on it. 
Um, I'm, yeah. I'm a, a unashamed traditionalist. Uh, I never saw any reason to change the time. Um, I think they've seized on the the fact. Uh, not surprisingly, I think the broadcasters have seized on the fact that it's you know different state, different conditions to get it happening at night. Which, uh, but I, I just don't think the returns from playing it at night are worth the trade-off to history. And, you know, yeah, you're going to get a few more TV viewers. How many more? I don't think they even really know. So I can't see that the revenue will be any greater as a result. Um, And I think there are some traditions that are really worth preserving. I love a Saturday afternoon game of footy. um, And I think that that time of year, you know, usually you've got the sun shining and, the Premiership Cup being awarded as sun, the sun sets and, you know, the last vestiges of winter, if you like, or spring turning into the off-season. Um, and, you know, we've we've had so many great grand finals played during the day. There's just mm. not enough reason to me to change it. Mate, I just don't understand with the fixture in the last few years. They've really gone away from that Saturday afternoon game at the MCG. It's so much more rare. And that's that's sort of, I think, it's synonymous. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. But um, with the grand final, it was a Saturday, a sunny Saturday with the two best teams going at it. And I'm really disappointed that it's going to be, well, it's not going to be played during the day this year. Although I don't think it'll take away too much from the spectacle as we have two great teams. I think Harper has a question. Oh, yeah. I was actually going to ask you just before, obviously, it's still massively involved in journalism not quite in the same way as before did you ever have a chance to go up to Queensland to go to the grand final or any other games no no I haven't look I got you know I had my accreditation in actual fact I literally haven't been to a game this season I I was all ready to pick up my accreditation uh didn't get along in round one and then you know everything changed so uh, I never actually even put hands on my accreditation and it's been it's just been a bizarre season. I've gone from going to never less than two, often three, sometimes even four games a weekend to literally none this season. It's all been right where I'm sitting here. In fact, this is my office and I've got a TV screen above my computer and uh, I virtually live in this room. It's been, <laughs> it's been just as well not claustrophobic because I've... I've spent 90% of my time for the last six months in this very room I'm talking to you from now. It's it's weird. I've I've got used to it, you know, but um, it's just been a bizarre season and, uh, geez, I I hope we don't see another one like it. You know, we we can't say with any certainty that the game and the competition is going to return to normal even next year, but, boy, you know, let's hope it does because, you know, footy is a, a constant in the lives of so many people in this country, and particularly those that live in Melbourne. And, um, you know, thank God we've been able to have a competition at all, so I'm grateful for that. But, yeah, I, I don't want to do this again. I want to actually be be in the press box and be in the outer and, you know, copying abuse from people like <laughs> I normally do when I go to the footy. hundred <laughs> percent. Now, I think for me the biggest takeout for the prelim final weekend which is something that I know that you're quite passionate about was the fact that the teams that have won the qualifying final had only four out of the um, 10 or so have actually gone on to the grand final so what are your thoughts on the pre-final buy that's been put in since in um, 2016? Well just give me a second to climb onto my very large hobby horse um, <laughs> I, I, look I've been banging on about this since it came in in 2016 and 
Um, I thought so initially because 2016, we, we saw both qualifying final winners lose their preliminary finals. And I thought, oh, hello, that's a bit different. Um, and now it's, it's, we've got to the stage where the numbers, to me, say it everything. And they are that prior to the introduction of the pre-finals by... 17 of the previous 18 preliminary finals were won by the sides which had won the qualifying finals. Since the pre-finals buy was introduced, the figure is now just four qualifying final winners out of 10 preliminary finals. That is a major, major difference. Why is it happening? Well, I believe a, a, a huge factor has to be the lack of football continuity that those qualifying finals now have. That is because we have the pre-finals by, they play their qualifying final, win it, have another week off. So you get sides coming to the preliminary final having played just one game in a block of somewhere between 25 to 28 days. In fact, I've got, I think Collingwood last year, who were another victim of this, I think by the time they played their preliminary, it was literally one game in 28 or 29 days. Now, the, the starkest examples of this for me weren't so much these two preliminary finals. They were the 2016 preliminary final where Geelong didn't score a goal in the first quarter mm. while Sydney, which had played through, scored seven, game over, quarter time. Uh, 2018, where Richmond, who were the dominant team all year, had the week off got jumped by Collingwood, 10 goals to two at halftime, game over. And then last year, Collingwood, they got that one game in barely a month uh, and had caught on the hop by the Giants and had kicked three goals to three-quarter time. Uh, should have been game over. They nearly came back and won, but that, to me, just sort of underlined they'd been slow out of the box. Now, you wouldn't say that with these two losers, Port Adelaide and Brisbane, because they kept pace with their opponent all evening, but even, you know, as close even as the Port-Richmond game was, I would look at Port and say they weren't at their best. And and that lack of continuity, particularly this season we've got, when we've got such a crammed schedule, you know, to go from playing, what, four games in 14 days, that sort of thing, during footy fest, one or two, to all of a sudden playing one game in 25 odd days, that's a massive difference. And there's no doubt in my mind when you look at those numbers, 17 out of 18 turning into 4 out of 10, it's a stark difference. And surely, okay, why does it matter so much? It matters to me because the top four, you strive all season to work yourself into a position of strength in the top four. And then effectively you win your first final, so you do everything right. And then effectively you penalise for that. It, it doesn't make sense. Second, we have finals in a grand final. We don't have a first-past-the-post system. So there's fewer rewards for having a great season compared to, say, Premier League football, where you finish on top, you win. Given that we don't have that first-past-the-post thing and you have to win knockout finals, shouldn't you earn some sort of significant advantage by performing good enough to finish in the top four? Final point on this, it was introduced... It basically, and I use this phrase all the time, but it was cracking a walnut with a sledgehammer. The walnut being that Fremantle twice and North Melbourne once fielded half-strength sides in the final home and away game of the season, having secured their spot and no uh, threat of that changing. They rested half a side. They lost those games. 
the AFL, I think, spooked by the gambling agencies, thought we've got to do something to protect the integrity. But in other sports, you know, like EPL, managers routinely rest senior players in squads because of the schedule without anyone batting an eyelid. For some reason, it, it, we, we look at it and we go, oh, no, this is compromising the integrity. But you're talking about one or two games in the context of a 198 in a normal season, 198 home and away game season. Massive, massive overreaction. Um, and so you put in a buy, which you can argue maybe the first week of finals have been better quality for it, though I think it's arguable. But that it has, to me, been at the expense of the top four teams, the most deserving teams, being effectively penalised for finishing in the top four and winning their first final. It doesn't stack up. It doesn't make sense. I think at the very least, the AFL needs to talk to AFL club fitness staff about the impact that that lack of footy has had, talk to the football staffs, the coaching panels, how they dealt with it. Um, You know, Lockie, you're a Geelong supporter. You know, I'm sure Geelong people aren't a huge fan of it. The Cats have never been great coming off the ball. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. And I, I just think it's so important. You know, the, the nothing should be more important, in my view, than making sure whoever wins the premiership each year is a thoroughly deserving candidate. Now, again, I'm not saying Geelong and Richmond aren't, but I think it, it it's a real shame that the best-performed side of a season that was on top of the ladder the entire season doesn't even get to play in a grand final and I think there's a fair argument that the lack of football over the last three and a half to four weeks for them is a factor in them not being there for the game that counts. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think that's something that people that are for the buy bring up. They bring up the fact that Bulldogs won the premiership in 2016, but then they failed to mention that Bulldogs were a 15-win team that season. When, when else is a 15-win team going to be seventh on the ladder? Normally that's top four. Like, No, no, really, really good point. And the other point to that, and I'm glad you reminded me, and Bulldog fans get shirty with me for bringing it up, and I understand that. But the bottom line is they had five guys – who had it not been for that pre-finals buy, wouldn't have played in that first final against West Coast. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, there was McRae, Roughhead, Vic Liberatore, two more very senior players. I I just don't think that they would have won that first final against West Coast without that that buy. 100%. It was a great premiership and they were the best-performed side in September. Hats off to them. But had we had the old system, I think it's every chance they would have been out in week one. And so how big a rewriting of finals history is that? Um, The AFL owes it to the game, I think, to really look closely at whether this has been the right move. But I don't think they're going to do it. Gil McLaughlin came out the other week and said, oh, yeah, you know, we we had had a CEO's meeting. We asked for a, a show of hands and most of them liked it. So we're going to go on with it. That's not nearly in-depth enough for my liking. This needs to be really looked at because you're messing with one of the fundamental tenets of the premiership competition, which is having the most deserving teams having the advantage that their season's toil has earned. Yeah, Rowan, you're an Essen fan, of course, and we never win finals. Yeah, we know well, when you, reminding <laughs> We know when you care about that, it's a real bloody issue. So, mm. yeah, it really needs to be fixed. It's just... Oh, shocking. I think we all agree on that. But 
uh, obviously, Rowan, you, you know your tactics of footy well. So we've talked about with our other guests, we've spoken about the big build-up, uh, how the teams are faring. Uh, Mitch Cleary has told us that there probably aren't going to be too many changes, no injuries, no suspensions. But how do you think the match is going to shape up tactically? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, look, I think how much do you read into their meeting in round 17? Well, you know, uh, Geelong would be hoping not much because the Tigers just completely dominated them, didn't they? I mean, the Cats, you know, and it wasn't lost on me that Geelong are the highest scoring team in the competition this year and they had one goal five on the board at three-quarter time. You know, Richmond just absolutely strangled them. Look, I think as a rule, you know, Geelong is a high-possession team. Um, they, they like to control the ball. Um, they like to control the speed of the game. That doesn't mean, by the way, that they always play slow because I, th- I think, um, for example, uh, in Geelong's win over Brisbane this year, the, f- the first one, um, you know, they unleashed with a, a seven-goal burst in the third quarter. So they're capable of flicking that switch. But basically speaking, they are a possession team. Richmond is a team that revolves around an immense pressure on the opposition ball carrier but frenetic ball movement. Um, they like to keep the ball alive, even if it's in dispute, knocking it forward, getting numbers around the ball, harassing the opposition. Uh, some people don't like watching that style of footy. I quite like it. I, I think it's chaotic, but it can be very entertaining. You see a lot of their goals coming from spills and crumbs. And um, the, the other thing about Richmond, which people don't tend to talk about enough, I, I think, because it's a hard thing to see unless you're at the game is their positioning their positioning both behind the football and around the contest is second to none and it really stood out to me in that preliminary final too tough wet conditions you saw port make a number a number of handling errors but uh disposal errors too where they'd get the ball in a tight cluster of players feed out a quick handball it would miss the target Richmond weren't missing the target. So their setups in terms of where players are standing, both around the stoppages, but also, um, say, behind an opposition kicking outside the 50-yard. I, I remember a couple of games in the last couple of years, I've sat up high in the grandstand to watch it. And it's remarkable how often the opposition will clear the lines out, uh, out of their defensive 50 and Richmond will be set up on their own to take the mark and come forward again. So I think Geelong will be trying to control the football. Richmond will be desperately trying to keep the ball alive and moving and in play to disrupt the game as much as they can. Geelong will be trying to control the game as much as they can. That is the biggest difference between the two teams, I think. Yeah, 100%. I feel like oh, you've lost in your Grimes. They've got such a strong intercepting intercepting players down there, as well as the fact that I feel like really encapsulates, would you comment on the, the cat style of play a little quote, is that you can move the ball quicker than you can run because cats don't have a lot of quick players, but they move the ball quickly. You know, they have like Mitch Duncan, who in my opinion is probably a top three kick of the AFL, doesn't quite get a credit. Uh, Menegola is a beautiful kick of the footy. Guthrie, Stewart. So those guys are really as vital to the game plan because they have the ability to move the ball quickly. Now, what do you think will be... Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, I, th- I think another interesting aspect of it will be that Richmond is a team 
Uh, Geelong has been really good for clearances and contested ball this season. Particularly last night against Brisbane, against probably yeah. the strongest stoppage team in the AFL this year. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say, they're not strengths of Richmond's. If you have a look at the rankings, you know, Richmond uh, for the season are really low, like 17th, 18th in, in things like clearances and contested ball. But both in the preliminary final and their semi-final win over St Kilda, they were, they were great for clearances and contested ball against high-ranked sides. So that is an area in which I think they've really focused coming into this final series. Um, they're very good at winning the ball back from the opposition, which is proven by the fact those rankings have been low and yet they've been such a great side. But improving their stoppage work particularly, I think, has made them even more dangerous over the last fortnight. So their battle against Geelong in that particular area is going to be really fascinating. Yeah, I feel like Presti's inclusion, because he came back for that first final, that's really changed their stoppage play and it's improved them there because he's probably one of their best midfielders. I think, Harper, you have a comment to make? Oh, yeah, I was going to say, we were talking about, I think, with another guest, how noticeable for me, especially, it was Geelong, just their defensive structure, it's seriously, like, unrivaled. It's like nothing I've seen, in my memory at least, and they just forced Brisbane. Brisbane couldn't get any quick breakaway at all hardly last night it was they just completely muzzled them and it's yeah it's just amazing their Geelong's defensive structure they they have got a great uh, great defensive unit and have had for a number of years now I think second for fewest points conceded this year only behind Port Adelaide first last year they've been high in that category for years and remarkably and I feel this way about Port Adelaide too but probably more so with Geelong because they've done it for longer there's some players in that defensive group that no one ever talks about. I mean, Kate Collajasny is is. Did I say Kate? Or is yeah, it Jake. Jake. <laughs> it's <Sorry>. Jake. <laughs> so I knew I'd, I'd get do that all the time. There you go. That's I, even I don't know him. Uh, Jake Collajasny. You know, he's Mark been o- yeah. Jake he's been a really good player for them for years. Mark O'Connor. You just said he's another one. We don't talk about those guys, and yet they are integral yeah. to that defence. Yeah. It's not just the individual strengths either. It's how they combine as a unit. I think um, Tom Stewart has been a bit of a general of that group. He's absolutely invaluable for them. Harry Taylor getting the job done. Lockie Henderson's had a fantastic season. He's sort of come back. He's done a bit of a Liam Jones. You know, people were just about written him off and he's come back and been... He was ter- terrific in that preliminary final. He got so delisted, didn't been, he? Didn't he get delisted last year? Yeah, he, he did, yeah. and he only got unpicked up because Ryan Abbott went to St Kilda. But yeah, he's yeah. been he's been one of our best players in all three finals, as well as Jack Henry. There was a lot of um, comments about his awareness because he got caught out of that first final. I think it was Rosie or Butters ran him down. They went down the other end and scored. But he was super last night. I'm a massive Jack Henry fan. He was nominated at the AFL Players Awards for Most Courageous Players because Cats rate him so much down there. He's fierce with the ball in the air and on the ground, and he's such a competitor. And I think I've been a little bit critical about Cats back on in terms of the fact that it's quite a big one. Like they've all they've got six players down there over 190 centimetres, and then Jed Bues, the small defender. I think we commented on it before. He's he's not small either. But they've really, I think, like Cole Jasny last night on Charlie Cameron was unbelievable. Like first quarter was looking I was a little bit nervous as a Cats fan, but he really got on top of that matchup. No, it's a good observation. It's caught him out at times in the past. And you know, Richmond uh have more dynamic, quick small forwards than most sides. It, it raises an interesting selection one too, because you'd think they're both going to go in unchanged, but 
I thought Jake Arts was a bit stiff to get dropped mm. for Richmond. So do they think about bringing him into the mix to unsettle those Geelong defensive matchups? But if he comes back into the mix, at whose expense? You know, everyone in that side, I think, has probably earned their place in the 22. So um, difficult one. But, yeah, like you say, I mean, the fact that a college Jasney can play on someone like a Cameron seems to indicate that um, size isn't necessarily a factor. Yeah, um, Lockie mentioned Jack Henry there. Uh, someone I was watching with last night, uh, he kicked his first goal of the season last night and the person I was watching with had no idea who he was, but he's <laughs> such an like integral part of the team, as are all their people involved with the defensive structure. He certainly changed his physical appearance. I remember when he started, yeah. <laughs> he was very clean-cut looking and I was yeah. watching him last night and thinking, you look like you should be in an emo band or something. <laughs> yeah, the headband and the like hair. That. <laughs> but uh, what we want to get onto is some key matchups that will shape the tactical outcome and the outcome as a whole uh, of this game. So, have you got any particular matchups that you yeah, see? Yeah, I'd, be, as I'd be interested to know, like, because last time Grimes played on Jarvis the first game, as we mentioned before, Bolter played on Hawkins. But now I feel like the structures have changed so um, so much. Like Richmond now is Asprey down in defence. Cats have Dangerfield playing a lot more forward than mid. You also have Gary Rowan throwing into the mix. So it's going to be really interesting. I feel like it's going to be a couple of different matchups to last time. Yeah, I think so. And I, I think the matchups will be more fluid. You know, I, I, I think. I mean, look, to be perfectly honest, I, I do the matchups at the start of each game. And apart from a couple of key positions, in a lot of ways, they've almost become redundant because, you know, uh, particularly in the midfield now, guys will rotate through half a dozen different opponents through the course of the game. So, you know, I think the, the most significant ones are probably at either end, aren't they? So, uh, you know, in Geelong's case, it's who takes Lynch, who takes Rewalt. Um, I suspect... Taylor is probably the opponent for Lynch, um, given the extra physical strength he has. I think you probably, in terms of key position players, you probably want a slightly more mobile defender to take Rewalt because he will cover more territory than Lynch. So I think Henderson might be the man for him. But, um, you know, at the other end too, it's, it's who takes Hawkins. Well, you know, Bolter clearly did a really good job on Hawkins in that round 17 game. I think Hawkins that night, was he goalless or he only kicked one? He certainly wasn't yeah. a big influence yeah, a on, pre- yeah. Yeah, on proceedings. But as you say, I mean, it, it's, it might be, you know, like key forwards don't have a, a record of being huge influences in grand finals. Now, you know, I say that and this will be the way the comes out kick six. But historically, they really aren't a huge factor. In fact, Rewalt kicked five in last year's grand final, which isn't a good guide because it was an absolute belting. But I think that was the first time anyone kicked five in the grand final since... Um, Mooney in 07? Uh, probably, yeah. Well, I, was go- I think, did Ruffhead... Now, Ruffhead didn't kick five. No. Though, I right? think he kicked five. Yeah, no, you're yeah. probably right. You're probably right. You've kind of yeah. probably got to go back 13 years. So it might be um, the small forwards or the medium-sized forwards or the midfielders rotating forward. And there's one huge one for each, isn't there? Dangerfield yeah. for the Cats and Martin for the for the Tigers. So who takes them? Um, you know, Cole Jasny having played on Cameron, he can probably go on a small like a... You know, who are we talking about there? You know, a Castagna or a Rioli or even or someone like that, but also have the strength to go on a Martin. So 
I, I tend to think that the matchups are going to keep changing and keep rolling over. Uh, look, often with grand finals, you end up, I'm a big believer in this, as, as important as stars are to a winning grand final lineup, and Dusty Martin's won two Norm Smith medals, it's often the emergence of a lesser light who plays a big game in a grand final who can have a huge impact on the result. Um, you know, some of my most memorable performances of all time are, are guys who bobbed up sort of out of nowhere, you know, like, for example, I'm going way back here, but Glenn Freeborn for North Melbourne, 1996, they were struggling at the time. He kicked a burst of three goals in the second quarter against Sydney, got them back on track. Um, Port Adelaide, when they won 2004, you had Toby Thurston's bobbed up yeah. and kicked three goals in that game. And um, it's the capacity of that those lesser lights to rise to the occasion. I think that, I'm sort of rambling a bit here, but I think <laughs> that is a big factor for Geelong this time because I, I think one area where the Cats have clearly improved is that depth at the bottom end of their 22. And a good example of that for me last night was um, Brian Myers who... You know, he was having a bit of a Barry Crocker early on, dropped a chest mark, couple of mistakes. But he ended up having a really big impact, I felt, in that second half. Um, you know, guys, guys of that stature, I think, you mentioned Jack Henry. I look at Geelong's 22 now and I find it a lot harder to identify who their bottom six are now. And I wouldn't have said that even as late as last year. So I think that's been a big improver for them. I think that's always been a strength of Richmond's. You know, they've got so many even players, you know, and you see that through the way they've been able to negotiate their injury concerns. Guys go out and they introduce guys to the lineup who are able to play a role as much as a position and do it really well, and they end up becoming key parts of the lineup. And, you know, guys like, for, in their case, you know, Liam Baker, for example, I mean, he's had a, an outstanding season, and they're so well drilled the Richmond players that, you know, it's like uh, Ross Lyon was big on this when he coached St Kilda and to a lesser extent Frio. You lose one soldier, another soldier comes in, does his job and contributes importantly to the win. The fact that both these sides have more blokes than most sides that can do that, I think makes again for another really evenly matched grand final. Yeah, 100%. I feel like... Something that hasn't really been spoken about much, but is why I was really confident actually playing against Brisbane is Geelong's record at the Gabba this year. Now, I think I've got, got up before. So we've played something. So we've played six or seven times there. And so we beat Saints there by um, 59 points, Power by 60. Uh, we then played Bombers there, one by, beat them by 66. And then Magpie 68. And uh, we beat the Lions by 40. So that's pretty significant. It's almost like we're playing a GMHBA. <laughs> Yeah, no, look, it's a, the venue is hu- a huge factor, I think. You're spot on. Uh, I mean, Richmond's record, the Gabba's great too, prior to the qualifying final uh, defeat. They, they'd won, I think, 11 games at the Gabba in a row going back to 2005 or something. So um, I think all but one of them against Brisbane at a time when Brisbane had been down, so that's probably helped. But it's interesting to me the... The record between Richmond and Geelong, so the Tigers have won five of the last six meetings, but five of those six meetings have been at the MCG, where I don't think the Cats have been as good. Um, You know, Geelong's had a couple of periods of sustained dominance over Richmond. Prior to that five out of six, 
Geelong had won, I think, 20 of the previous 21 clashes. They had another period of dominance between the mid-80s and the mid-90s where they won 17 out of 18. So it's like once one of these sides gets the wood on the other, they sustain it. But I think you're right. I think the Gabba will be a bigger advantage to the Cats um, than playing at the MCG. So, you know, if you think Richmond have a bit of an edge, I think the venue diminishes that advantage a bit. Uh, I think Geelong psychologically, having overcome that preliminary final bogey, I think that will lighten the load on them psychologically. So I think that gives them a better chance too. Look, I'm... It's early days. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to end up tipping Richmond. I tipped them to win the flag pre-season. I stayed on them even when they weren't playing so well. And, you know, I feel like I've been vindicated. So I'd be stupid to jump <laughs> off them and tip the other side now. But I will not be surprised in the slightest if Geelong win. And I think the venue is a, a key part of that consideration. 100%. Now, we've had a little bit of a theme going throughout the show, a little mini segment that's usually a main segment of the show. Rowan, have you listened to the show before? Uh, I haven't, I'm afraid. Apo- that, <laughs> apologies. I've... Well, anyone that has listened to the show uh, knows that our most famous segment, our best segment, is the quiz. It's one of the mightiest challenges oh, uh, known to man. <laughs> so... Uh, I think I know who's going to win uh, this little quiz. But <laughs> well, like, can I just tell you, if it's about recent events, I'm less likely to win than if it's about, <laughs> you know, sort of the 70s, 80s and 90s. Because as you get older, trust me, it's one of those peculiarities of the ageing process. <laughs> you remember what happened 30 years ago much better than what happened five minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, well, so we've obviously had a grand final theme throughout the show, as it is the grand final preview. So... Going back from 2019, as far as you can, uh, we're going to be rota- rotating between Lockie and Rowan, just naming every Premier. Bit of a simple one. Oh, okay. I've got a feeling who's going to be able to probably go back to 1897, but uh, we'll start with Lockie in 2019. Uh, Richmond. Correct. Uh, 2018, West Coast. Correct. 2017, Lockie. Richmond. 2016, Correct. Western Bulldogs. Lockie. 2015. Hawthorne. Correct. Uh, 2014, Hawthorne. Yeah, 2013, Lockie. Hawthorne. Correct. 2012, Sydney. Correct. 2011, Lockie. Same as this year, Geelong. <laughs> oh, correct. Uh, 2010, Rock. Collingwood. Correct. 09, Geelong. Correct. 08, Rock. Hawthorne. 07. Geelong. 06. West Coast. 05. Uh, Sydney. 04. Port Adelaide. <laughs> 03, Lockie. I'll just, we'll skip ahead. Lions 3P, go to 2000. Yeah, okay, 2000, Ron. Essendon. 1999. North Melbourne. 98. Adelaide. Adelaide. Yeah, 96. North Melbourne. 95, Lockie. Carlton. 94, Ron. West Coast. 93, Lockie. Mighty Dons. Correct, 92, Ron. West Coast. 91, Lockie. Uh, I'm trying to think. I know 9090 was Collingwood. I know 89 was Hawthorne. I'm trying to think on 91. I'm, I'm actually stumped here. Uh, uh, would you want me to fill in the blanks? Yeah, I'm not sure if it was West Coast or... Yeah, you fill in the blanks, Rowan. It was Hawthorne. They beat West Coast at Waverley. Waverley, okay. Yeah, infamous yeah. Angry Anderson Batmobile grand final. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, Rowan's taking out the quiz. What a surprise can I, that is. Can I... Uh, being a bit of a smart ass, can I keep going as far back yeah, as I can? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, go for it. All right. 
Uh, so 1990 Collingwood, 89 Hawthorne, 88 Hawthorne, 87 Carlton, 86 Hawthorne, 85 Essendon, 84 Essendon, 83 Hawthorne, 82 Carlton, 81 Carlton, 80 Richmond, 79 Carlton, 78 Hawthorne, 77 North Melbourne, 76 Hawthorne, 75 North Melbourne, 74 Richmond, 73 Richmond, 72 Carlton, 71 Hawthorne, 70 Carlton, 69 Richmond, 68 Carlton, 67 Richmond, 66 St Kilda, 65 Essendon, 64 Melbourne, 63 Geelong, 62 Essendon, 61 Hawthorne, 60 Melbourne, 59 Melbourne, 58 Collingwood, 57 Melbourne, 56 Melbourne, 55 Melbourne, 54 Footscray, 53 oh, oh, Collingwood. Oh, he's got it. 52 Geelong, 51 Geelong, 50 Essendon, 49 Essendon, 48 Melbourne, 47 Carlton, 46 Essendon, 45 Carlton, 44, hang on, 44, Richmond. Oh, Richmond lost at Junction Fitzroy. to Fitzroy. Oh. 40, <laughs> 43, Richmond, 42, <laughs> Essendon, 41, Melbourne, 40, Melbourne, 39, Melbourne, 38, Carlton. Correct. 37, Geelong. Yep. 30, yeah, this is where I start struggling. 36, <laughs> uh, Collingwood. Correct. 35, uh, Richmond. Richmond, no, is incorrect. Collingwood. Collingwood's correct. Beat South yeah, Melbourne. All right, give up there. there. South oh, Melbourne won Harpy, you threw me to the wolves. How was I going to beat him? <laughs> yeah, well, I think we might have to Didn't put it? that bit on double speed because Rowan's got back about 85 years there, so very well done. Oh, I, there was a stage I could do them all, but I, these days I confine myself to 1940 <laughs> onwards. I'm pretty confident with that. When, oh. when I was about five years ago, maybe when I was like 12 or so, I thought I was top shit when I could go back to 1990, but I think Rowan out does me a bit there. <laughs> All right, now we'll, uh, we'll finish yeah, off. That, the... that, that would have been entertaining listening. <laughs> <laughs> Showing off your knowledge. We love that on the show. Yeah, uh, we'll finish off with say. the last question. So grand final this week, uh, tip your winner and your margin. Um, yeah, well, like I said, look, I, I don't want to lock myself into this because some people put far too much weight yeah. on, on it. But I, I, I can't tip against Richmond. They, they, I tipped them pre-season to win it. I think I just think they've got a, an amazing record in big games uh, historically, but even this period. I mean, you know, over the last four years, with the exception of that shock preliminary final loss, not only have they won oh, and the other week actually, <laughs> but <laughs> they've won most of their finals and won them really well. Um, yeah. Just interestingly, again on a historical note, their finals record against the Cats. They've played 11 times, these two, in finals, and Richmond have won nine of them. Um, they, they they have a game which suits finals footy. Finals footy tends to be pretty fierce and pretty scrappy, and I think their game suits that, perhaps a little bit more than Geelong's game suits that. Um, and their recent record against the Cats is very good. You know, five of the last six meetings, 
including holding them to just one goal uh, only a few weeks back, really. So can't tip against them, but I've got a lot of respect and admiration for the Cats, and I think their last two, you know, last night, and I think their semi-final performance were really ominous. And even the Port lost, to be honest. They lost that game, but it wasn't for want of opportunities, and had they kicked straight, you know, it might have been a different story. So they're playing their best footy at the time that matters most. I think it's going to be a, a really close game, but I can't go past Richmond. Um, did you say Norm Smith medal? Yeah, that was going to be my next question. You read my mind. Um, oh, look, I'd like to be a smart-ass and come up with something left field, but Dustin Martin is the greatest finals player of the modern era. Like, I, I, I can remember one poor final he's played and he was injured. So I reckon we're going to see our first... Um, Triple Norm Smith medalist with Dusty winning it for a third time. Uh, yeah, I'm, hard, I'm sure he'll be favourite to win it, but uh, um, yeah, he's he's my tip. You know, I've uh, if anyone from the AFL is listening, I'm, oh, you can't you can't be a judge if you're not there. But I'm well overdue to do a. I've done two Norm Smith medals. I did 1995 when Greg Williams won it. That was an easy decision. I did it again in 2006 when I was literally tearing my hair out because it was a a close game. They're not supposed to collect our votes until after the siren. And five minutes before the end, I got a tap on the shoulder from someone from the AFL saying, can you give us your votes? I said, (laughs) give us a break. There's one point the difference. I don't know who's going to win. No, you can wait till the siren. I did. I'm happy to say on both occasions I gave my three votes to the person that ended up winning, which... It was Andrew Embley in 06. So I'm overdue. It's been 14 years. <laughs> I reckon I'm due for my third Norm Smith call-up, guys. <laughs> yeah, well, my sister was actually born on that day you voted for Andrew Embley. So big shout-out if she's listening. Lockie, you've got one more question. Yeah, so the last one is, so I'm opening up the uh, the paper or logging on to a blog on Sunday morning. What is the headline? Uh, footyology.com.au. Yeah, you of course. Lockie, the uh, Australia's most independent and respected uh, football website. Uh, I don't know. In fact, I, I doubt I'm going to have time to write anything for Sunday because we're going. We're doing our footyology final siren live stream post game. So tune in for that one. Anyone who's listening. <laughs> uh, oh look, I, I'm trying to think. What what will I end up writing about? Depends what comes out of the game. Really, I, I think uh, the headlines. What what are the likely headlines? I think if Richmond wins, we will be debating. Uh, Richmond's status as arguably the greatest team of the modern era. You know, three flags in four years. It's an amazing achievement in this era. And uh, uh, remarkable given where we thought they were at the end of 2016. You know, geez, they lost their last game to Sydney by 102,000 points or whatever it was, you know. And Mm. if you just said as the players walked off the ground after the last game of 2016, this side in four years will have won its third premiership. Yeah, you would have been locked up. <laughs> Mate, I think even after 2017, because I, I remember after 2017, there was some calls saying this was one of the worst premiership sides we've had. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's just been phenomenal. And Geelong, look, I, I, I think there's a – I think the romantics will be barracking for Geelong because – it's been such a phenomenal effort of them to keep presenting every year despite all those disappointments of preliminary final defeats, not even getting to a grand final. And they just keep buttering up every year and doing it with a 
a really old side. They fielded the oldest side in league footy history yeah. a few weeks ago, you know, and to win another flag, I think it would be really, really well-deserved. And, I, you know, what a fantastic end to one of the all-time great careers in Gary Ablett Jr., you know. And Paddy Dangerfield, I love Paddy. And, you know, he hasn't even got to a grand final, so it would be a great reward for him, for guys like Tom Hawkins, you know, um, He's played most of his career in a side that's pulled up short, so I'd love to see it for him, Harry Taylor. There's a lot of great people at Geelong. I really, it really is a great club, and uh, I really like a lot of their players and a lot of their former players. You know, like Tom Lonigan's a guy I talk to a fair bit on Twitter and other social media. He's a terrific bloke. You know, they're a great club. I, I really like them a lot, so I'd be wrapped for them. So either way, I'm happy. It's a great sentimental footy story or it's a great uh, historical footy story in terms of Richmond's place in the pecking order. Yeah, we could talk uh, with you about footy until the cows come home, but I think we'd better leave it there because we've gone on a while. So thank you very much for coming on the show. Roll yeah, I can, I can hear my cows mooing in the backyard, so <laughs> I'll, probably, I'll probably better go. Uh, thank no, you very much. Pleasure, guys. Anytime, uh, all the best uh, for your podcast going ahead. Wow, what an absolutely cracking episode that was. Thank you so much for our guests. I really, we both really appreciate you giving up your time to come onto the show and you gave some absolutely amazing insights. Yeah, had so much fun speaking with all of our guests today. Uh, all absolutely lovely people, uh, how many ever we had. But, Lockie, we promised our listeners that we'd do our rapid-fire questions at the end of the show. I bet they're all dying to know. So, uh, Lachlan Gibbs, I'm going to ask you for your winner and margin for Saturday. Look, I'm just taking off my Geelong cap for a second, but I still think that the Cats will be too good. Uh, I know Richmond is such a strong side, but I feel like Geelong's form over the last couple of weeks has been absolutely exceptional, so I'm tipping them by eight points. Fair enough. And your Norm Smith medalist? Um, my Norm Smith medalist is Tom Stewart. I actually I had a little bonus bet before the final started, and I just put it on him. I was, I'm pretty confident, and he's a vital player to our um, to how we play and structure up down back. And I feel like defenders normally poll pretty well on the Norm Smith. Yeah, and one last one, your Sunday headline? Uh, my Sunday headline is bring back meatloaf. Aussie entertainment absolutely stinks up the Gabba. <laughs> <laughs> well, we certainly hope that uh, the Aussie guys uh, do it well. Now it's your turn, Harper, mate. You're not getting out of it just yet. So, Harper, your tip and margin. <laughs> my tip and margin. Uh, I'm also going to go for Geelong. Maybe um doing it, uh, making a tip with my heart instead of my head, but I'm going to tip Geelong in a very close one. Geelong by two points. Oh, geez. I don't think I'll be able to watch it if it's by two points. I'll get too nervous. Um, What's your Norm Smith medal prediction? My Norm Smith medal prediction. This might be uh, a bit out there, a bit of a fantasy, uh, but I'm actually going to go for the fairy tale story. I'm going to say Gary Ablett. Oh, gee whiz. I'd love to see that. And what's your Sunday headline? And the Sunday headline, of course, Gary Ablett's won the Norris medal. He's kicked three goals. He's had 27 disposals, um, even though he's played in the forward line for most of the game. My Sunday headline is godlike. Oh, gee whiz, I'd pick up a newspaper with that as a headline. Boy, oh boy, that would be exciting. Now, Harper, can you plug our socials? Oh, yes. Can I ever, Lachlan Gibbs? Uh, so if you want to check us out on Twitter and Instagram, which is where lots of our good content is, you can check us out at WDWBPod. That's WDWBPod. What about our Facebook, Lockie? Our Facebook is Where Do We Begin? 
Just give it a yeah. search and you'll be able to catch our episodes on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Wherever you listen. And if you listen on somewhere where you can view, review the show, give it a nice five stars. Uh, even if you hate the show, as I say, give it a five stars because we appreciate it and we might uh, make you hate the show less if you give us five stars so we can improve. Also, uh, give us a big shout out to your mates because that's the, actually the number one way our podcast spread around. Uh, but it's been a very long show. Lockie, should we leave it there? Let's leave it there. Go Cats. No music this week. See you next week.